0: Never, ever, ever, under any circumstances say, I'll be right back, because you won't be back. I'm getting another beer. You want one? Yeah, sure. I'll be right back! Ladies and gentlemen, you are listening to Revenge of the Drive In, the podcast where we watch, discuss, and review two movies randomly selected from a list of over 3,000. This time we've got a couple of classics in Robert Zemeckis' Back to the Future from nineteen eighty-five and the Great West Craven's Scream from nineteen ninety-six. I'm your host Patrick, and I am joined by a major league Scream fan in
1: Josh Ramos
0: you're probably the biggest scream fan i know i believe scream is one of
1: maybe three perfect franchises with more than five movies
0: yeah you know it's a good franchise in the sense that i think there's only one bad movie i think there's like a couple okay movies like you know but there's yeah there's i i think scream 3 is kind of bad personally
1: scream 3 fucking rules i okay as a young person, I didn't like it, but, like, the older i and gotten, the more I know about, like, Hollywood and the film industry. Oh, yeah, that's that's fair. It's a nice little stab at Hollywood. Yeah.
0: It is a Me Too movie before Me Too was a widespread thing. It has Weinstein's and the weird...
1: fucking name on it. I know, that's the weird
0: thing, because this is a scream, if I'm not mistaken, is the first Weinstein film that we've covered on the podcast...
1: Fuck that guy.
0: I will say, so we don't have uh, my usual co-host Jim here. But if you but if you do care to hear Jim's opinions on either Back to the Future or Scream, we have commentary tracks for both of those movies on our Patreon, patreon.com slash Revenge of the Drivein'. Those have been out for a while. Yeah, so you can still hear Jim talk about those movies, but right now it's gonna be me and Josh. And we are going to start with Back to the Future one of the most formative films for me when I was a kid, like I saw it so many times for a long time, it was my brother's favorite movie. I don't think it was ever my absolute favorite, but it was always up there. It's still up there for me, I think. I, I And I see it all the time. It's rare, actually, that I watch it all the way through, because it's one of those movies that's just always on TV, so I'll catch part of it. You know, it's like Hitch. I mean, it's, it's a be, I, josh you may disagree but it's a better movie than hitch hey hey listen uh, or i, I be...
1: <laughs> absolutely adore hitch it is one of my favorite I like hitch. movies
0: like it's I, I like it it's just not back to the future back to the future is timeless hitch is like a solid rom-com
1: they're they're both classics but one of them belongs in congress one of them you give to the aliens after civilization falls the people don't the aliens don't need hitch but humanity needs it
0: <laughs> okay but yeah back to the future From director Robert Zemeckis, uh, producer Steven Spielberg, along with uh, Frank Marshall, Kathleen Kennedy, some producers that he worked with a lot, written by Robert Zemeckis and Bob Gale. And I'll start off first of all by saying I think this is virtually a perfect script. So many things that are just kind of set up early on just are paid off. And there's there's a lot of like good, you know, because obviously this is a movie about time travel, but there's... A lot of good, like, repetition in, in kind of some jokes and stuff. And the joke is basically that history repeats itself. But there's also, like, a lot of, like, little things in the original 1985 that and that when he when Marty goes back to 1985, after all the events of the movie, things, like, change. Like, people always talk about the Twin Pine Mall versus the Lone Pine Mall, like, every now and then something will get posted on the internet and it's like oh my god did you ever notice that you know originally it's twin pines mall and then when marty goes back in time and runs over one of the pines then it's lone pine mall and it's like yeah everyone everyone noticed that in 1985 when the movie came out i don't know why that's like a big a big deal but every now and then someone like posts that it's like oh yeah this is a brand new thing i just discovered it's like no you didn't steven spielberg presents back to the future a robert zemeckis film Marty leads an ordinary life. No McFly ever amounted to anything in the history of Hill Valley. History is going to change. And 1985 is not his year. But Dr. Brown is about to change all that. Are you telling me that you built a time machine out of a DeLorean? He's sending Marty 30 years Ah! back in time. It works! It's a flying saucer from outer space! Ah! Now, he's trapped in the past. So we start off, we get like long establishing shots all over Doc Brown's little, I guess home, but home slash laboratory. He's just got like thousands of clocks. And then of course, in steps, Marty McFly played by Michael J. Fox. One of the coolest Canadian names of all icon. all What a cool character name. Character or actor? The Character. The character. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean,
1: I mean, Michael J. Fox... Kind of it's a cool name too michael j fox is a hard-ass
0: name but yeah anyways michael j fox my with fly he hooks up his guitar to this giant speaker and all he does is play one chord and the speaker like blows up and he gets launched then in comes a phone call and it's doc brown calling him and he specifically says hey don't do anything with that speaker because it's it hasn't been perfected yet and he's just like oh yeah Oh, and then in the phone call, he also discovers that, so all the clocks go off at the same time, and apparently Doc had been working on some kind of thing so that the clocks would all be like 15 minutes late or whatever, and then Marty realizes he's late for school. So he's on his way to school, of course, to the music of Huey Lewis and the News, The Power of Love, the famous song. So it's kind of like this. This movie. I mean, there's a lot of ways this movie's awesome, and and generally I do think this movie's kind of timeless. I I will admit though, and I know there's like Rick and Morty, which is like a cartoon, and it's like largely inspired by Back to the Future, and I don't give a crap about it because I saw like two episodes and I couldn't stand it. But hugely inspired. It's like a satire. All I, all I remember is there was that in 2015, there was like a documentary about like back to the future part two. And it was, I think it was on Netflix and it came out and, you know, cause 2015 back to the future part two is the future of 2015. And so it was going to be this like documentary where they were looking at, you know, all the things that back to the future part two got right and wrong. And it basically just ended up being an advertisement for Rick and Morty. It was, uh, I don't think it was Harmon. Who's the other guy? I think it was just, like, him talking a bunch. I'm like, I don't care about this guy. He had nothing to do with Back to the Future. (laughs) So, anyways, I I have some ill will towards uh, Rick and Morty just pent up from that still. But I will say, like, this movie's timeless. And yet, I feel like the Doc-Marty friendship, I feel like that only flies in the 80s. You know what I mean? I don't think you could do this friendship where it's just, like, elderly... Weirdo scientist and cool high school teen just kind of hanging out together. And I mean, to be fair, it's supposed to be weird in the movie because there's that Strickland guy, the dean or whatever in charge of discipline, who says, like, you know, you shouldn't be piling around with that guy. And it's like, yeah, it's supposed to be weird. But like nowadays in 2024, that's not weird. That's creepy. I work
1: in schools. And if my, any grade, if a senior, junior, freshman, sophomore, if any of them were like, oh, I'm going to hang out with this random old guy.
0: This elderly man. Who,
1: <laughs> his house is just like, should be condemned. I'd be concerned. That's something I'd want to let the parents know. Like, Oh yeah, you, 100%. I feel like I, your, yeah. your kid's on some weird stuff. <laughs> yeah, dude, they're, they're maybe not making the best choices. In yeah, their life. this guy... I mean, Doc is, like, the crazy old man.
0: He is, but he's, but he's like, a fun, kind of innocent crazy. And I do think the movie, like, again, by characterizing Doc in this way, you don't worry about the weirdness of it.
1: I guess you don't really have, like, in super insight into, like, this man's life in the town like that. That's true. He could be, like, the coolest fucking guy on the block.
0: I mean, he's Christopher Lloyd. I mean, that's gotta count for something. That definitely counts for something but marty isn't just some like high school like loser right he is cool teen a skateboarder which is which is cool he doesn't you look know, like, like skateboarder a skateboarder either that's the well maybe it was before maybe in the 80s skateboarders didn't really have an image yet i don't know but he you know he's a he's a guitarist a singer like he's in this band called the pinheads who Are probably good, but of course they don't succeed in their talent show audition because, you know, fun cameo by Huey Lewis as like one of the judges cuts him off 10 seconds into the song and says, I'm afraid you're just too darn loud. Yeah, Marty, guitarist, skateboarder, he's in a budding relationship, budding romance with Jennifer, and he gets to school late, and Strickland, James Tolkien, pulls him aside. And talks to him the way that I don't think, you know, Josh, you and I working at schools, I don't think we're, we're, I don't think it's cool if we're this uh, harsh on students nowadays.
1: No, you definitely can't do that.
0: It's great framing because the camera like moves in slower and slower as his face gets closer and closer. Closer to Marty, and then eventually, like when he says no McFly will ever amount to anything in the history of Hill Valley, like his nose literally touches him, which is just kind of neat. But and now uh, this is also again this script is so full of setups. We establish that the dad is not only is the dad a loser and we see that more, but that Strickland was around 30 years ago. Strickland knew this guy's dad and and saw what a loser he was, or or pardon me, a slacker. That's that's his word. He that's that's his ultimate insult.
1: Slacker is a great insult. I feel like that was very very 80s. You don't really get that anymore.
0: Yeah, I I don't know if it's 80s specifically, but it's definitely a word that just isn't around anymore, or at least not as much as it could be. So after the band audition doesn't go well, Marty's you know he's not feeling himself and Jennifer's trying to cheer him up and says like hey you know you got to you got to drop your audition tape down by the studio or whatever and he's like no nah, you know what if they tell me i'm no good i can't take that kind of rejection and then they're also discussing they've got like some weekend long date and he's he's supposed to take his his dad's car or something you know someone someone in his family's car i assume it's his dad's but he also has told his parents that he's going camping with the guys because he can't talk to his mom about his relationship because his mom is this prudish woman who doesn't think boys and girls should be hanging out in high school and while this is going on it's actually like they have this kiss again the Huey Lewis music playing and then this old bag interrupts them with this save the clock tower nonsense. Of course, they are in the famous Universal Studios backlot location, referred to as Clock Tower Square, but we have the famous clock tower in the background. The clock has not moved. The clock has not been working since one particular date in 1955 when lightning struck, and of course they know the exact time that lightning struck because the clock is, you know, frozen in time, as it were. But so Marty gets back home, I really like all of the stuff with the family because you see in this original 1985, this pre-time travel 1985, his family's kind of miserable. His, well, first off, we meet his dad. His The car that Marty's going to borrow it has been totaled. And that's because Biff had borrowed it and crashed it. And there's a really great line, you know, Biff is, Biff is George McFly, Marty's dad's supervisor. He's confronting him and he's blaming him for loaning him the car without telling him there's a blind spot, which was always funny because like every car in the world has a blind spot. Why would you have to tell someone that? But Biff is just such an asshole. And George McFly's like, now, can I assume that your insurance is going to pay for this? Biff has one of the funniest lines in this mo- in the movie, and he's like, my insurance? It's your car. And he's like, look at, look at this. And he, <laughs> he's looking at my suit. I spilled beer all over my suit when, when I crashed the car. Who's going to pay for my cleaning bill? So I love how he just openly admits to having an open bottle or can of beer in the car while he's driving and gets in an accident uh so that's one of my favorite lines that you know that's again saw this movie so many times as a kid i never noticed how funny that is
1: dude as a kid that shit did not register to me at all yeah biff is just like such a classic trope of a bully like in every every way and just totally himbo yeah. he's just a also just a himbo as fuck like nothing He yeah
0: no i so biff in particular it says thomas f wilson this is biff in 1985 all of the main actors play versions of their characters in both 1955 and 1985 so they're all the exception Christopher Lloyd younger people who are in old age makeup and like fat suits in 1985 and it looks decent it doesn't look like great or perfect but Thomas F. Wilson plays Biff he is so perfect he is funny. He is a comedy character. It is funny how dumb he is. Oh. But at the same time, he is genuinely threatening and imposing. It's, it's amazing they, they're able to pull both those modes off. And, and obviously, it's best captured in 1955 when there's a lot more of him. But I really admire this movie for making him both a complete buffoon and like a genuinely intimidating villain yeah no, Biff Biff is both. and he's and he's a big guy. He's a tough guy. Biff is just he's like a great name too. He's scary. He is scary and pairing him opposite Michael J. Fox too Michael J. Fox is a little man.
1: He is very, very small.
0: and then of course, um, I in mean, just in general, this movie is like perfectly cast Thomas f Wilson Michael J. Fox perfect. But Michael J. Fox, of course, famously not the original choice. It was originally going to be Eric Stoltz, who's an actor I'm not that familiar with. Think he might have been kind of a big deal in the 80s. And then I... And he fell off. I really don't know what he did. Yeah, well, I know he has like a minor role in Pulp Fiction. That's the only thing I really know him. That was also like, in. you know... It's 10 years later. I mean, it's, it's a different era at that point. But like Michael J. Fox is busy, busy shooting family ties, playing alex p keaton and he's like a, the he's the breakout star of that show and i think that show's still going on and they replace eric Stoltz. they sh- they had shot a lot of the movie already at this point and then they bring him in he is shooting simultaneously family ties and back to the future so michael j fox is on like two hours of sleep like every night this had to have been a miserable time in his life what a performance! And you know, I'm not that familiar with Family Ties. I I, I know the show is popular, but like this movie, like I've never seen skyrocketed him to stardom.
1: He looks like manic and off sleep throughout the movie. It's probably all ties to to that.
0: Yeah, yeah, and that's that's the thing is 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 I think that's a happy accident. I don't think that's acting so much as it is just like that is the him. circumstances. But it totally works for the movie. He's got this like energy. He's got this hyper nervous energy and you know it absolutely works for a character who ends up dating his own mother and, and doing all this in, in in all this weird situation but back to the casting Crispin Glover perfect as George McFly Marty's dad awkward loser in 1985 and in 1955 even more so I love in the 1985 stuff we get the detail of how the two of them met George and Elaine But Leah Thompson is telling it like it's this wonderful, charming, meet-cute story. But at the same time, she's, like, drinking vodka at dinner. And it's just like, yeah. and, And then the two of them aren't listening to each other. So just great, like, visual cues that this is not a great marriage. But, of course, they met because Elaine's dad hit George with a car while he was in the middle of the road. And she pitied him. Then she ca- she cared for him, and they and he took her to the Enchantment Under the Sea dance. And this is all in high school, of course, and this is where Marty ends up going back to in 19- nineteen fifty five. But in order to get back to nineteen fifty five, he first meets Doc at the Twin Pines Mall at like 1.30. He has no idea what he's going there for, but Doc Brown, Christopher Lloyd, is experimenting with time travel. He has built a time machine out of a DeLorean. He displays that it works by sending his dog Einstein one minute into the future. And then of course, they once once they meet back up with Einstein a minute later, Marty's filming all this. Doc is explaining how it works. And he mentions that it has to run on plutonium. And Marty's like, wait, is it plutonium? I was like, did you steal that from somewhere? And <laughs> Doc's like trying to get him to stop filming. And he mentions that he stole it from a bunch of Libyan terrorists, who of course end up showing up And they actually shoot and kill Doc Brown, but Marty's able to get into the DeLorean and he's trying to outrun them. And he goes the magic speed of 88 miles an hour and travels back into the past. He goes specifically back to whatever date in 1955 this is because Doc Brown had typed it in and said that this was a red-letter date in science history because this is the day that he bumped his head and came up with the idea for the flux capacitor, which is this, like, Y-shaped thing of lights inside the time machine. And there's no there's no details about what the flux capacitor is, but he insists it's what makes time, tra- tra- time travel possible.
1: Yes, it's the MacGuffin.
0: Exactly, yeah. It doesn't matter how it works. It's just, you know, it works. And so Marty ends up in 1955, runs over one of the pine trees... Actually I think he that's after he crashes in the barn. But he crashes into the barn of old man Peabody. And I love you know me, Josh, I love the 50s sci-fi stuff. I love how when he arrives in this DeLorean, which is a an odd-looking car, and they ha- it has the gull-wing doors, which, whether now or 1985, looks pretty futuristic. So obviously in 55, like, the little kid thinks it's a spaceship, and then they think he's an alien who's morphed itself into human form. So Old Man Peabody starts shooting at him. He eventually gets the car started, runs over one of the pine trees, and gets the hell out of there. And then the car ends up, like, stalling, so he parks it, like right outside of his neighborhood except his neighborhood is in the early stages of being built at this point
1: white people gentrification coming in
0: can you gentrify farmland i feel like there's a different term for that it's just colonizing man manifest destiny (laughs) 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 yeah i mean if it's
1: 1955
0: that's probably white flight happening i guess but yes, yeah, so, yeah they, all the all the white dudes moving out of Compton. Yeah. Uh, this is some this is somewhere in California. I don't know. I assume it's southern. I mean, they just filmed it in Hollywood. I'm sure. So I assume Southern California. But yeah. So oh, and if we haven't mentioned the name of the town, of course, is Hill Valley. And Marty goes to downtown Hill Valley. He is wearing <laughs> his 1985 outfit, which is just like a lot of denim and this like red kind of puffy vest. And there's numerous jokes about. People seeing that and thinking it's a life preserver, which is great because just that style of vest isn't around in 1955. He he goes, to the downtown area, so this is the clock tower area. And I love how, like, we see a lot of this in 1985 when he's skateboarding around and we see how different it is. They, they have the old gas station in 55, which is not self-service. It's where you pull up and then Texaco guys go out and, you know, like, wash your car and, and fill you up with gas and... You know, I think there was like a, uh, in 1985, there's like a movie theater that's like been converted into like a Protestant church of some kind. And, you know, in 55, it's just a movie theater and he walks into the cafe and this is one of my favorite exchanges in the movie. He kind of dated because I feel like neither of these eighties drinks are really around tab is technically still around. It's just, no one has it, but he tries to order a tab, and then the guy the guy working at the cafe is like, I can't give you a tab, buddy, unless you pay for something. And he's like, oh, I'll, I'll just take a Pepsi free, you know, Pepsi caffeine free, which was a thing back then. And he's like, if you want a Pepsi, you have to pay for it, buddy. And <laughs> I love that exchange. But, of course, he sits down unwittingly next to his dad, George McFly, and then in steps Biff, who says, McFly, I thought I told you never to come in here. So they both turn and yeah so biff is just the high school bully as you probably would have expected he is accompanied by three goons one of whom is played by billy zane and classic man wears wears 3d glasses the entire time i i love that these guys like i think they get like one line in the entire (laughs) series and the entire well i guess they're not really in the third one but i think they're in the second one there there is posse
1: posse posse his his gang i guess
0: but yeah this this whole thing i mean obviously we have back to the future part three which is set in the old west but this kind of feels old westy it's like he walk into the saloon and it's like hey i told you never to come in here like people don't do that in the 1950s suburbs you don't just go walk up to someone and say hey you're not allowed to be in this public place that's like an old west thing and i like it but yeah so after that exchange, Marty tries to talk to George, you know, there's also a fun little gag with the guy who's sweeping the floor, who tries to tell George Crispin Glover to stick up for himself. And he's like, when I when I get older, I'm, I'm going to be somebody and then Marty recognizes him. And he's like, that's right, that's go- He's going to be mayor, <laughs> Mayor Goldie Wilson, his face is plastered over like a van going around campaigning in 1985. But Marty eventually follows George and George is up in the trees over a suburban street and he is a peeping tom. He is watching a lady change clothes in her you know in her bedroom and then he falls and he's about to get hit by Elaine's dad, but Marty instinctively pushes him out of the way and it's he who gets hit by the car. So now Marty is the one being taken care of by Elaine. And Elaine, his mother, immediately falls for him. And she keeps calling him Calvin because he's got Calvin Klein all over his underwear. <laughs> and she's like, that's, that's that's a really weird thing to have. It's really weird to have your name on your underwear. That's a great Marty, bit. Calvin, whatever. And he keeps telling her to call him Marty. But she, throughout the movie, continues kind of calling him Calvin every now and then. And then this is a fun little, like, generation clash scene as he, like, sits down with the family at dinner they just set up their first television set and they're like hey marty do you have a television and he's like oh yeah we have two of them <laughs> and hello they're like oh that's bullshit no one, one has
1: two tv <laughs> <laughs> yeah
0: and then and then he he gets really excited because it's an episode of the honeymooners and he's like oh this is a classic and they're like what the hell are you talking about this is a brand new episode and he's like oh i saw it on a rerun and they're
1: like, I'm like what's, what's a rerun what's a,
0: Yeah, it's 1955. They don't know. then one of my favorite parts, of course, in 1985, it was set up that Marty's uncle, Uncle Joey, is in prison. And Uncle Joey here is just a little baby and he's hanging out in a playpen and there's like these bars on the playpen. And he's like, so you're my Uncle Joey. You better get used to these bars, kid. (laughs) Great stuff.
1: I wonder what he did.
0: It doesn't matter. I don't know. I feel like there's some kind of drug thing. that will be my guess.
1: Why is that your guess?
0: I, I don't know. I, I just, America has a America American... War on drugs, Reagan era.
1: Uh-huh. It's as yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. good a guess as any. Anyway.
1: California.
0: Yeah, that's the thing. It's Reagan era, even if he's not president. If he's arrested in the 70s, is Reagan's governor then.
1: Damn, you're right, dude.
0: So, Marty like, leaves in a hurry when it's very clear that his mom is hitting on him. And he tracks down Doc Brown at his house and he invites himself in doc brown's got this weird sci-fi contraption on his head that's supposed to allow him to read minds but since every single one of his guesses as to who marty is is completely off he's like okay this thing doesn't work marty tells him i'm a time traveler and then like none of the information that he's telling him is getting doc to believe it of course he says ronald reagan's president and doc brown only knows ronald reagan as an actor and but eventually he mentions the flux capacitor because that was what doc brown had said and this is like literally the day that he bumped and hit his head and then drew the flux capacitor so suddenly he understands so he takes him to the time machine they and they eventually like they hide the the delorean like in doc brown's garage and they're in you know marty doesn't know the science behind this so doc brown has to study it up and okay how can they get it moving and of course they find out that you know Well, A, there's plutonium, but they need the plutonium in order to create 1.21 gigawatts of force, and Doc Brown insists that this is, like, literally impossible. The only thing that could cause this is a bolt of lightning. And then Marty's like, wait a second, we know when lightning is going to strike, because I got this stupid flyer from that old bag, of the whole save the clock tower thing, so they know in about a week or so, lightning will strike the the clock tower, and if they can harness that electricity into the time vehicle, as Doc Brown always calls it, maybe we got a shot to get him back to 1985. But until then, Marty is supposed to stay on the down low, because he can't interfere with past events, because he could screw up everything, but oh wait, he already has done that, because now George and Elaine haven't met, so... He is endangering his own future existence. And, of course, this is when we establish the photograph of he and his siblings. And his siblings are, like, slowly disappearing from the photograph. Like, the the longer George and Elaine are apart, the more this... Are you saying uh, Elaine? Oh, yeah, I am saying Elaine. It's Lorraine. It's Lorraine. Yes, I'm sorry. <laughs> I have been saying Elaine. Yes. I don't know. I, I just, listen, I just watched Seinfeld yesterday. What, I, I don't know. Hey, what season? Good, good catch, Josh. Good catch. <laughs>
1: The picture, the picture uh, is a great is a great driver of urgency to the movie.
0: Absolutely, yeah. And this is again going back to the script is awesome. It's like I love how clear the stakes are yeah, this... like every point in the movie. And it's like you think, okay, we're at this point where it's like, oh, it seems like Marty can actually get out of this, but then oh, we establish this other thing, and the picture is this beautiful way to visualize that.
1: Yeah, it's very clear. It's like a fucking, uh, it's like a little sand time thing, but with a picture.
0: So Doc and Marty realize they have to get his dad and his mom together. And he tries to do that, except for his dad is such a loser that this is never, ever going to work. Because his dad does not want to talk to women. And Lorraine does not want to talk to anyone but Marty.
1: AKA Calvin.
0: Yes, Calvin. They need to get them at this dance together. But George is busy writing his science fiction stories. He doesn't want to go to the dance because he's got to stay home and watch his favorite television program, science fiction theater. Which, for years, I am a big fan of like fifty science fiction. I, I like the just the imagination of fifty science fiction. It's like a, it was a brave new world out there. We didn't know what alien life would be like, so we were just coming up with weird stuff. And and you know, a lot of it's dated, but. For years I'd always wondered like okay, science fiction theater is that a real thing? It is. And I have seen about 3 or 4 episodes of it. Not really my thing, but I'm I'm glad I finally filled in that knowledge gap of, you know, what what if you were wondering what pre-Twilight Zone science fiction television anthology shows were like. No, not a great show overall from what I could tell. Anyways, but So Marty, using this information that his dad in 1955 is really into science fiction, he throws on his uh, plutonium handling suit, breaks into George's room, and plays Van Halen music really loud in his earphones. And he says that he is Darth Vader, an extraterrestrial from the planet Vulcan. Then he does the little Spock uh, live long and prosper thing and george the next day finds marty and says that listen i i will ask lorraine out and it's like okay what made you change your mind And it's like well darth vader came down from the planet vulcan and told me if i didn't ask lorraine out to the dance he would melt my brains <laughs> and this is all delivered in in a really great scene just like a lot of great like little visual gags of like the age like marty has this old like there's this glass bottle of pepsi and he's trying to open it But they didn't have twist-offs back then, so he has no idea how to do it. And then George eventually just does it very easily for him. So they prepare George to go ask Lorraine out. She's in the cafe. He goes up to her. You know, he flubs his line, the prepared line. But that really doesn't matter anyways, because then Biff steps in. And of course, this is the cafe that George is not allowed to be in. And so Biff is about to confront him. The entire cafe goes silent. Marty trips Biff, and there's this great shot of Biff getting up. It's, like, shot from behind Biff. It's kind of a a high angle, like, looking down on Marty, showing how kind of helpless and pathetic he is. Biff kind of stands up, and is like, holy shit, he is, like really tall. And then he just like keeps getting taller. <laughs> it's like you think he's like already way taller than Marty and then he just like keeps growing almost. I love that shot. By the way, Josh, you are of course a big Halloween fan. Yeah. And and we've covered the first couple of Halloween films on this podcast you and I together. This is shot by the same cinem- cinematographer as the first two Halloween movies, Dean Cundy, who also Cinematographer for Jurassic Park, did a lot of uh, John Carpenter stuff back in the day, The Thing. Excellent cinematographer. Wow,
1: that's an amazing fact.
0: Again, going back to Biff being threatening, intimidating, but also a complete idiot. Marty pulls the, whoa, 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 what's that over there? And then punches him in the face and then takes off. He ends up taking, he takes like a little kid's scooter which is just like a wooden board with like a handle on it, breaks off the handle and then just uses it as a skateboard. So Marty essentially invents the world's first skateboard here. And he's using that to try and get away, but Biff has this beautiful convertible and they're chasing him down. It's a really exciting scene. Also, we haven't said anything yet about the music. The Alan Silvestri music, wonderful stuff. One of my favorite movie scores. Like the Back to the Future theme is just this awesome heroic stuff. And it, it kicks in here, it kicks in when Marty's driving away from the Libyan Terrace. I think that's the first time we hear it. But Biff basically rams Marty, but Marty does this cool maneuver where he lets the skateboard go under the car, steps over the car, runs past everybody, and then jumps back onto the skateboard, and Biff's car runs right into a manure truck. So meanwhile, while this whole thing started as George is supposed to ask out Lorraine, it's kind of backfired because now Lorraine is just even more in love with Calvin, Marty. So he gets back to coaching Crispin Glover and he has a plan. He has, well, it's actually she kind of asks him to the dance. So two of them are going going to the dance. Marty is planning on park is staying in the parking lot with her and just kind of getting her to feel uncomfortable he doesn't really get into details and then crispin glover is supposed to open the door and say hey you get your damn hands off her and then and that's going to save it he's going to look like a hero there if marty looks like the bad guy
1: it's a solid idea
0: meanwhile doc has planned out this whole thing i love how he has this like elaborately produced model and then he apologizes he's like i'm sorry it wasn't wasn't to scale and i didn't have a chance to paint it and it's like meanwhile it's like he did this all in like a couple hours it's amazing but they have this whole plan so the night of the dance is the night the lightning strikes but they've got a little bit of a window between the dance and the lightning for him to rush down there, get in the DeLorean. As long as he hits 88 miles an hour, right when he hits this, they're basically just having this big telephone wire going across from the clock tower to the road. As long as he hits 88 while he hits that, he'll be able to go back into 1985. Meanwhile, Marty is, he keeps trying to tell doc that you actually, you get shot In 1985, like right when I come back here, we need to change this. And he keeps trying to tell him this. But Doc, of course, man of science, says, no, 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 you can't tell me anything about the future. That's going to fuck everything up. So eventually Marty writes him a letter, slips it inside his coat, but he rips it apart. Doc finds it later on and he's like, what's this? Back of the dance. Things don't go quite as planned because Marty, well, Marty does park with Lorraine. She kisses him. And that's a great michael j fox facial reaction where he just looks like terrified and it's like a really funny face and then she's like i i i don't know how to say this but when i kiss you it's like i was kissing my brother but things don't go to plan because then biff steps up and pulls marty away and then biff is full-on ready to rape and and biff's goons shove marty in the trunk of the band that's playing at the dance
1: one of the greatest movie bands
0: of all time Oh yeah, Marvin Barry and the Starlighters, I think. definitely Marvin Barry, because that's a that's a joke itself, but they get a lot of screen time, obviously, because Marty's eventually playing with them. But yeah, so Crispin Glover, George, shows up on time and he opens the door. He's like, Hey you, get your damn hands off her, but of course it's Biff. And he's like about to punch Biff, but Biff grabs him and he's gonna like he's pulling his arm back, he's like going to break it, and then George is able to summon up the strength to get one solid left cross in and biff is out for the count george has saved the day he gets to take lorraine into the dance they're dancing but he's still kind of a loser and he's still not willing to make the move and actually kiss her but meanwhile he's like a celebrity at this point because everyone hates biff and they're like hey you ever thought of running for class president so marty is locked in the trunk Marvin Berry is able to break into the trunk, but he injures his hand. And Marvin Berry, of course, is the guitarist and singer. And he's like, hey, the dance is over. We can't play any more music because no one can play guitar. And so Marty, of course, established as a guitar player, gets to play while Marvin Berry still continues to sing. And they, of course, do Earth Angel for kind of the slow dance. Classic, beautiful song. And then, of course, Marty wants to go crazy and do Johnny Be Good" from Chuck Berry. Uh, a song th- from three years in the future. It's a 1958 release. Do so you know what the B in Johnny B. Good stands for, Josh? No. It's benevolent. Uh, is that... Is Johnny that? Benevolent Good. It, no, I'm, I'm just kidding. Oh, it just, it's that's good pretty cool. Synonyms. I don't know. I, I, yeah. Anyways, plays a song. At first, it's going well. These white people are eating it up. You know, this is the first time they've heard rock and roll, and this is awesome. They're dancing and having a gay old time, and then, of course, as the song goes on... Marty goes like full Eddie Van Halen and just goes nuts on a guitar solo. And I love I love the shots of, you mentioned, you know, great movie band. Their facial reactions are hilarious when they just like cut to the saxophonist and he's just like staring at him. <laughs> those, those are like really great reaction shots. And then by the time that song ends, like everyone is staring at him, even of the dancers. And I, oh, and I should say at this point, George and Lorraine have kissed because it was during Earth Angel. That Marty started fading away because the more and more George went without kissing her, you know, his picture was fading, his image was fading from that photograph. And so he started fading on the stage. This is when some, like, asshole cuts in on the dance, but then George pushes him away and then he dances and they kiss and then Marty is all of a sudden healthy again. With the dance over, you know, Marty says his goodbyes to the two of them and then he heads back. I think this is when... Doc Brown finally rips up the letter in front of him. And then Marty decides, you know, fine, all I'll have to do is go back a few minutes earlier in the, pa- or in the, in the future to save Doc, to, to, to warn him. So he's getting ready to go to 88 miles an hour as the lightning comes in. But unfortunately, a tree falls and tears this basically giant extension cord they have. So Doc has to climb all the way up to the clock tower and try and reconnect everything. And there's a great... Kind of an homage, if you will, to the classic silent film uh, "Safety Last," which has the famous scene of the guy like hanging from the arms of the, clo- of the clock, like a hundred feet up in the air. That's actually referenced early in the movie too, because uh, you know Doc Brown in his home, in nineteen eighty-five, like hundreds of clocks. That one of his clocks is is that. So it's a little Harold Lloyd silent film homage, which is always appreciated. And so he connects the extension cord right as the lightning strikes and right as marty is able to get to 88 miles an hour hit that and go back into the future it's a great shot of doc brown on the ground because he like falls from the from the uh clock tower or actually no he has to slide down from the clock tower. he has to connect things on the ground back on the ground but there's a great shot of him like on the ground looking up and of course when the car when the DeLorean time travels, you have these trails of fire where the where the tires are.
1: Badass shot. Just a badass shot. Yeah. Back in
0: 1985, Marty arrives, but then the car stalls again. So he has to make it on foot to the now Lone Pine Mall, not Twin Pines Mall. But he's too late. Doc still gets shot. But then after... The original Marty travels back in time and the Libyans crash into like a, I don't know what that is. It's like a booth of some kind. Marty goes up to, you know, the the, the Marty we've been following goes up to Doc and sees that Doc has worn a bulletproof vest and he shows him. That the letter he ripped up, he eventually taped all back together and, you know, just figuring, hey, this Marty guy was really insistent on this, so <laughs> maybe I ought to look into it. And he sa- and he saved his own life and the two, oh, well then Marty gets back home and sees that like his entire life or his entire family life has changed. Earlier his, his brother worked at like a McDonald's or something and now he's like wearing this nice suit. I don't remember how his sister changes. I'm sure she does. I think the sister has like a boyfriend now or something. Something like that. And his parents are like happy together. They're in shape. They just came from like a tennis thing in the morning. And they're both like thin. The mom's probably not an alcoholic. And then my favorite bit of this is they, well, Marty mentions the car, which had been totaled. And then they reveal that Biff is currently detailing it in their in their driveway because they're like, totaled, what are you talking about? They just cut to Biff out there, you know, Biff in the 1985 makeup, older man Biff detailing the car. And th- there is clearly a truck that says like Biff's auto detailing or something. But when I was a kid, I always thought he was their slave in 1985. <laughs> I thought something similar. He was just their servant. Well, especially because he brings in their mail too. It's like it's just like visually, it, 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 it to, to me as a kid. Anyways, it was it, like it felt like it was something else.
1: Yeah, I know exactly what you mean.
0: And and Biff's like friendly with them now. There was something in nineteen eighty five when, or nineteen fifty five rather, when Marty told Doc about what happened. He's like, you know, I I couldn't believe it. The, you know, my old man has never stood up to Biff in his whole life. Doc Brown's like, never. And like so implying that like, hey, this could change everything. And it and it apparently did. Biff is like a nice guy now. Although still if I were Lorraine, I wouldn't let this attempted rapist anywhere near me thirty years later. I I don't know. That's just me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's still like a weird But yeah, and then like Biff excitedly brings in the mail and he's like, oh, hey, you know, I think Mr. McFly, I think it's I think it's your new book. And so back in 1955, George McFly was writing all these science fiction stories in his little journal. Now in 1985, he has become a published author of science fiction.
1: He's quote unquote made it.
0: Yeah, because in, in the original 1985, he's a relatively lowly office worker, probably. You know, he's working under... You know, if Biff is your supervisor, you don't have a great job. Because <laughs> Biff is a complete idiot. He's a moron. Yeah, so... And then there, there's, like, a repeating of the, of the line. It's like, you know, it's like what I always tell you, Marty. You know, but if you put your mind to it, you can accomplish anything. And that's actually what Marty had told him. And it's because that was what jennifer had told him in 1985 so it's what he he tells his dad in 1955 and now his dad is telling him that in 1985 and then of course that's basically the end of the movie except we get a classic a classic ending tease if you will as marty and jennifer are hanging out looking at their new four by four when suddenly doc crashes his delorean into their garbage and gets out and he's wearing goofy like future clothes and he's like hey you got to come with me to the future and he's like what what's wrong and he's like it's your kids we got we got to do something about them they all get in the delorean you know jennifer with them because apparently marty and jennifer get married in the future and have kids and then he pulls out into the neighborhood and of course marty is like hey doc you better back up further there's no way we have enough there's no way there's enough road to get to 88 miles an hour and doc famously says roads where we're going, we don't need roads. And then the DeLorean flies away into the future. And that is the end of Back to the Future. We, at the very end, we get another Huey Lewis song, this one called Back in Time. Personally, I like it. It's not a very good song. It might have been from the like the director and writer's commentary in the DVD. I think I've heard Robert Zemeckis and Bob Gale talk about you know when we got Huey Lewis to do a song for Back to the Future. I'm pretty sure we only paid him to do one. He just sent us two, and it's like, okay, I guess we'll work the second one in somewhere. And so yeah, it's kind of <laughs> they're like, yeah, I, I, we definitely only asked for one, but he but he gave us two. So that is the end of Back to the Future. Josh, what are your thoughts? It's
1: one of the most classic films in American history. They just don't do them like that anymore.
0: I mean, you're you're a hundred percent right. You are not you're not overselling it. This is like a perfect movie, and I don't, I don't necessarily mean it's like the best movie ever. It's no Kenneth Brown as Henry V. When I say it's perfect, everything it does is just like so spot on. The casting, every actor is so perfectly cast: Crispin Glover, Christopher Lloyd, Michael J. Fox, Thomas F. Wilson, and it also it, it has such a universal appeal. Yes, because even if yes, Josh, let's talk about Gen Z for a second here. You and I, we both teach Gen Z. They might not care about the 1950s.
1: They almost, many of them probably don't
0: don't give give a shit. Yeah, they don't give two fucks about anything that happened before cell phones, basically. But there is this universal thing of just like, hey, I wonder what my parents were like when they were my age. That's like a universal thing. It doesn't matter if it's the 50s, it doesn't matter if it's the 90s, you know? So there's this 50s nostalgia, which is appealing to a lot of people, maybe not to everybody, maybe not to Gen Z. And I have to be conscious of. 50s nostalgia is a lot stronger for white dudes than it is for non-white dudes i mean that's just a fact it's a fact we do get wait, one well no I, I guess we get the entire band i was gonna say we get one black character in 1955 In 1985 is the mayor in 1955 he sweeps the floor the, at the diner the, so. the, the so they, mayor they, they, they the are, mayor
1: having a sweeping the floor to the mayor come up is very very cool from a movie that's from like the yeah that's like, that is like
0: a little the goldie wilson from diner sweep to that's, that's mayor that's, that's like a that's movie. american
1: dream kind of shit
0: that's that's a movie you can make a movie out of that you really could
1: they might that might be the back to the future spinoff
0: yeah oh god i mean time travel is such a fun concept and it can be taken in a bunch of different ways you can have time travel to the distant future you know a la hg wells the time Machine. you can have time travel to like historic events in the past time travel to the John F. Kennedy assassination, right? That's the Stephen King book, Eleven twenty-two sixty-three, 63 I think is the, whatever date Kennedy was killed. You have time travel to, like, the dinosaurs or something, because dinosaurs are cool. But here we just have, like, a time travel. It's not to, a, like, a specific, like, important historical time. It's just time travel. And then, oh, my, my parents are involved. So I see what my parents are like when they're younger. Oh, shit, my mom's hitting on me. There's this, like, weird Oedipal thing. And that's just, like fun like how how is that not like fun and there's so much humor comes from that
1: people love ancestral things these days i hear
0: of course yeah yeah gen z's into that stuff and then um you have this so you have the 50s nostalgia which i mentioned which 50s nostalgia was was popping back then really starting in the 70s you get american graffiti which in the early seventies, which technically everyone says it's the fifties because it's like a lot of fifties rock and roll, but that's actually set about nineteen sixty two or so. It's just still has the look of the fifties because that was before. Yeah, Greece, and then you have Happy Days, obviously.
1: Greece, Greece was huge.
0: Gree Greece is Greece is is maybe the most noteworthy of those things. So yeah, fifties nostalgia was big back then, big time. And maybe it's not as big now, but it's there's still something fun about it. And then. You have now. You have. I mean, this is an accidental product of Back to the Future, but now you have '80s nostalgia. You have Stranger Things. You have like all this other crap, and so Back <laughs> to the Future has this like additional.
1: We got Ghostbuster of nostalgia. More Ghostbusters sequels and shit.
0: Yeah, go- Ghostbusters. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, they, they keep bringing the Terminator back. You know, all this stuff. Like everything from the '80s interestingly enough everything from the 80s has been rebooted or remade except for back to the future basically which is still kind of amazing. i was just thinking like in i feel other... like
1: it, oh, that seems like a movie they'd want to make now
0: personally i'm glad they haven't remade it of course i want to say God. zemeckis has been very passionate that like no you can't touch this movie you know maybe they will do something after he dies in 20 years i don't know how, old, he, how, old, my how
1: old is that guy
0: He's younger than Spielberg, but he's been around. He's been around the block. His first movie is in 78.
1: 71. Yeah, he's got he's got a lot of time in him probably. He's got an interesting movie coming out this year. I'm excited for. Does he? Yeah. What is it? Um it is about it's a it's based on a book, I think. or No, it's based on a six page comic strip, actually. And it's, the story covers the events of a single room and its inhabitants spanning from the past well into the future. And it's got Tom Hanks, Robin White, Paul bettany it Looks like a. And the, yeah, Zemeckis
0: has worked with uh, Hanks a lot because they did Castaway, Polar Express. The thing that intrigues me the most
1: is the screenwriter of this. It's the. Eric Roth, who did like Forrest Gump, Ali, Benjamin Button. Curious case of Benjamin
0: Button, which is basically his screenplay for Forrest Gump, just worse. A Star is Born, Dune. Forrest Gump, of course, is another Zemeckis movie. So that's another Zemeckis Tom Hanks collaboration, come to think of it. I don't know why I thought of Castaway and Polar Express before Forrest Gump. No, Zemeckis is a great filmmaker. I think he's made some crap this century. You know, the Beowulf movie. The Beowulf
1: movie was booty.
0: Yeah, it was terrible
1: christmas carol
0: yeah he got he got big into the like uncanny valley cgi movies christmas carol why did he do that Polar like express what's up and with that? beowulf and they're some of the ugliest movies i've ever, ever. seen Ever, they
1: look like garbage
0: yeah and and i know they were like cutting edge at the time but i still don't think they looked good at the time what was he cooking? yeah i don't know why he did that I, that's a weird thing for him to have done so so this century has been a bit hit or miss, but Zemeckis had a track record of great movies. Uh, personally, I'm not a huge fan of Who Framed Roger Rabbit, but... That's a, a great movie. That movie. How could you not love that? I saw it once in a while. I barely remember it. I know Christopher Lloyd's in it. Christopher and Lloyd obviously Forrest, it. Gump, Forrest Gump. Back to the, Fe- oh, the entire Back to the Future trilogy, this is clearly the best of the three, but I think it's a great trilogy. I think all three movies are pretty good. And then Castaway's great. And uh, I know I'm missing some. I want to hold your hand, I think, is his first one. That's a pretty good one.
1: Contact.
0: He did Contact. Okay. Yeah. I don't think I've ever seen that. But, anyways, one thing I want to draw attention to about Back to the Future as it relates to Zemeckis Zemeckis, at the time, maybe because of this movie, Zemeckis was thought of as the special effects filmmaker, the special effects pioneer and it's funny to think that back to the future in 1985 was this was a special effects film because it's like there's like three scenes with special effects i mean it's it's it was a lot for the 80s but it's like nothing compared to like any movie now and i just think that's funny so that was that was zemeckis's reputation for a while and then he broke into dramatic films a little bit more with forrest gump and uh castaway and stuff and then and then he went into cgi schlock. but yeah zemeckis is great and i think back to the future is his best movie And it's for all the reasons we said, the cast, the performances. I'll go back to the script again. script is perfect. So many things are set up. So many even just like small gags are kind of set up. A lot of great running jokes. A lot of great jokes in general. It's a very funny movie. I still don't typically think of it as a comedy. Because it's not a comedy the way like Wayne's World is or, you know, Young Frankenstein
1: no, well, it's not a, a, that
0: kind of comedy. It's it's a it's an action it's, adventure with some, yeah. It's with a it's a couple different genres with the it's, it's, comedic it's, it's elements. Couple different genres equally. It's it's teen teen. I don't want to say melodrama, but it's like this teen comedy, coming of age coming of age sci-fi time travel time edipole period piece. And it's just like so good at everything it does. It really is an amazing film. It's not. I mean I mean it's up there in my all-time favorite films. It's not like top 5 or top 10 or anything, but like I don't think there's much separating it from the movies that are up there because it's just like so entertaining. I'm rarely not in the mood for this movie. It's just like when am I not going to want to watch Back to the Future?
1: Just a nice little ride. Yeah,
0: great movie.
1: The good guys win.
0: Yeah, it's, it's you get you get this heroic like happy feeling. A lot of that's the Alan Silvestri music, I think. Too, just awesome movie. Great one. Let's talk about another awesome movie,
1: Scream. You just said like Back to the Future is in your top five, top ten, but I can confidently say Scream is in my top twenty. I love Scream.
0: I I figured it was. I'm going I'm going to say something here, Josh, and we can get into this because you and I listen. First off, I like Scream. I want to make that very clear. <laughs>
1: What are you about to say?
0: <laughs> and I, we will get into this as we go along. And I'll say there's a, a few things about Scream that I think are like brilliant, i.e. the opening scene is one of the best opening scenes, not just in horror cinema, but movies in general. It's, it's perfect. Amazing. It's the best direction Wes Craven's ever done. I don't like Scream as much as I used to. I notice flaws that I didn't used to notice.
1: Wow. I, I, I can't wait to hear these
0: it's a good movie to me it's not a masterpiece and so i know you and i are going to disagree i just wanted to let you know early on so it's less of a shock when i end up being negative on certain aspects of the movie as we as we go along here
1: all right i can't wait to hear these misjudgments
0: from you (laughs) yeah so you said it's in your confidently your top 20 or so
1: confidently
0: for a little bit of context, and not much context maybe if you don't know how many movies I've seen, Scream has recently fallen out of my top 500.
1: You ranked them up to 500.
0: I I can't personally vouch for number 377 being better than number 378, but like it's like a rough estimate. I feel like the top like 50 or so are pretty accurate, and then after that it's like, eh, yeah, it's kind of like roughly this movie's around there. But yeah, so so Scream's probably like my 510th favorite movie or something like that. But I've seen a lot of movies, so that's not that's not a knock against it.
1: That's a crazy fucking long list, dude.
0: <laughs> I know it is. I know it is. That's why follow me on Letterbox. You can you can look. You can see that list. I mean, Scream, just like Back to the Future, takes
1: place in a suburban spot in California, Woodsboro. And as you just said, it has the classic beginning. We have Drew Barrymore. As yep. the very cool, sexy Casey Becker, just chilling at home, trying to watch scary movies or whatever the fuck she's got plans. Puts the popcorn on the stove. This and...
0: this this scene has always wanted, has always made me want to make stovetop popcorn, and still somehow I've never done it. I don't know why.
1: Just like, just do it. Like nothing's holding it. You back. Seems
0: a little bit more trouble than it's worth. The microwave's right there, you know.
1: So famously, you know, Drew was all over the marketing for this movie. She's like probably the biggest star.
0: Yeah, this is the this is the, the Janet Lee in Psycho thing. This was Psycho for the 1990s. Yeah. So if you I see guess the like Courtney Cox her, was
1: like just yeah. on Friends at that point. She was probably pretty big too. But Drew's been like a household name for a long time
0: since since ET. Since she was like a literal five year old child, she's been a household name. So it's a big get for like this little horror movie. She
1: was doing cocaine from
0: like, oh God, was she ever
1: my mom works for Drew Barrymore, actually, what now no
0: she she buy her coke? what does she no, do? <laughs> she's uh, she's no, I know Drew Barrymore's clean now, I assume i I, I, I assume joke. too she does security for the
1: Drew Barrymore show,
0: oh okay.
1: But Casey's just hanging out, chilling, and the phone rings, and you have the classic, weird Ghostface voice with the,
0: the audio. Kind of a sexy voice.
1: You find Ghostface's voice sexy.
0: It's, like, sexy in, like, an edgy way, in, like, a Johnny Depp. Like a Johnny uh, kinda, Depp way. Well, yeah, like, sexy, but, like, also drug-riddled, you know, you know what I mean? Drug addict. I don't know. There's something. There's something, like, there's something cool and edgy about this voice.
1: Definitely cool and edgy. I guess cool and edgy could be sexy. It can be. But, uh, you know, he's calling up saying, who is this? And saying, who is this? Who did I call? And then Casey keeps hanging up. She just doesn't want to be bothered by this stranger on the phone. She's not into the game of it. And then eventually the person is like, you know, you hang up on me again. I'm going to like cut you open got or you some like shit. A fish. Yeah, cut you got like you a like fish. fish.
0: Classic line. Classic threat, like that that gets my attention if I'm Casey.
1: And she gets very scared, starts looking around the house. He offers to play a game with her and off we go. Casey is a very, very foolish person. I know you would not have made the mistake that she makes. He says who's the killer in Friday the 13th.
0: Oh yeah, hate to be the nitpicker here but you know this movie obviously comes out in 96 so this this question well her answer is wrong but ghostface exp- ghostface's explanation is also kind of wrong and then also if you think of it there is a now a remake called Friday the 13th so Jason is the killer and in, in it friday the 13th that's not the original one obviously i maybe he does say the original friday the 13th i can't remember the phrasing the question but she says jason and he's like i'm sorry that's wrong and then she's like no i've seen that movie 20 goddamn times and he's like yeah well then you should know that mrs Voorhees was the killer jason doesn't show up until the sequels jason doesn't kill until the sequels he does show up in the original film in child form so Ghostface, a little bit you know uh we'll have to get the jeopardy judges to uh to weigh in on that one (laughs)
1: <laughs> that's true that's true. He does briefly show up as a deformed little creature Formable
0: monster child. yeah. in possibly a dream that scene still doesn't really make sense, but that doesn't mean it's not awesome Maybe he
1: just meant Jason in the form of the killer. He didn't I, show I up know, maybe
0: maybe. listen, language matters. words matter. It turned out that
1: the person on the phone, the supposed killer, we don't know that he's a killer or Ghostface
0: yet, because we haven't seen him yet. Yeah, yeah, we're calling him Ghostface. We have no reason to actually call him Ghostface at this Has one, this Casey's
1: show. boyfriend Steve tied up in the fucking by the pool out back? So she's playing this game, trying to answer the questions about the horror movies to see to save his life.
0: Classic moment earlier, too, when they ask her, like, what's what's her favorite scary movie? And she's like, Nightmare on Elm Street. And he's like, oh, yeah, you like that one? And she's like, yeah, Freddy Krueger. And he's like, oh, yeah, it's pretty scary. And he's just, she's like, yeah, the first one was. The rest sucked. And that's like a classic Wes Craven, fuck you, New Line Cinema for, for ruining that series. They really did ruin it. I mean, three is pretty good. Actually, Wes Craven does that, technically, if something to do with the third one. So I guess he can claim something there.
1: Ghostface Guts. Steve and they have a really brutal shot of his fucking literal guts disemboweled like hanging in front between his feet instant he- instant moment where you're like alright this dude's not he's not messing around like
0: and and you say gross and it is but it doesn't linger on it in no, a way it's, that's it's, excessive
1: it's like a real quick kind of thing it's
0: brutal and it's quick and it communicates you can what want he, to you can
1: hear you can hear what's happening you can hear the cut you can hear the guts falling out yeah. you don't see it then you do right. see it it's very brief but it's like between with the sound and the quick flash it makes your skin crawl and you're also afraid because you know that something really really bad is about to happen to drew barrymore and everyone loves drew barrymore she was like america's sweetheart at some point so even I mean... whether it's your first time watching it or the billionth time it always hits the scene but then you know she's freaking out the guy like throws something again to the house or she's like on the run hiding she goes outside at this point this is when i i knew she deserved to die once she got outside and didn't immediately start running. She like kind of like hid next to the house and was like trying to see where Go's face well, was. Well, not just
0: that too. But like her house is like in the middle of nowhere too. It's like where can she run to?
1: The cornfields maybe. maybe
0: uh, you're a sitting duck out there. And I, I know what you mean. But are I'm you just, I, sitting duck? I, I think to find. Even I think find she's some helpless regardless. I think that's what's so terrifying about the scene. I don't. I don't think.
1: I think if it if it if it was me, it wouldn't have gone down like that.
0: Once you know what Ghostface is doing, I don't think there's really anything she can do, and I think that's one of many things that makes the scene amazing.
1: What would you have done?
0: I don't know. Listen, I if
1: this happens to you. I don't, I don't know if you if you get I'm out not... if you get outside and you know the killer's inside. I want you I... to just run. Doesn't matter which I'm, way I'm, you run. I'm the
0: wrong. I'm the wrong person to ask for any kind of self defense stuff because I I don't know if I care enough. It's just like yeah, whatever. <laughs> you seen the world today? Uh, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know. I'd just be like, yeah, you know, it was a good thirty-one years, or an okay thirty-one years. Uh, thirty-one years that could have been slightly worse, I guess.
1: So now, once she's like creeping around the house, she sees Ghostface. Was the first time we get to see him. It's like a dude in a mask and like a cloak of some sorts.
0: Yeah, yeah, you got the cloak, the robe, the mask. The mask already existed before the movie, which is kind of interesting. But the mask, it's based off of the Edward Munch painting, The Scream. Very famous painting.
1: It is a very, very creepy mask and a creepy, creepy painting. So eventually Casey gets discovered, Ghostface like attacks her through the window, chases her down her parents arrive home this is when it gets like depressing yeah Lots this of, is actually like it moves sad, from entertainment to like depressing
0: and yeah you you feel bad all of a sudden her parents I mean, get it's home like, thrilling but it's like, yeah yeah yeah, this yeah, is yeah. Where, like, it, it goes from thrilling to like true horror home, it's like ooh.
1: once you bring the parents into it i have to witness what's about to happen it does not feel good and they come in they see the popcorns kind of like on fire smoky or something yeah
0: you know someone's on the phone the phone it's a cordless phone of
1: the yeah they're like let's call the cops to figure out what's going on our kid's missing and then mom quickly realizes that casey's on the phone
0: And they can hear her. They can hear hear her, her, like, in her last breaths. And
1: she's, like, getting stabbed and shit. And then dad says, like, you know, go next door and get these people or whatever. And the mom opens the door. And then there's this crazy shot of she just starts screaming. And then the dad comes outside. And then there's just, like, a crazy shot of, like, Casey just fucking hanging from the tree. Also fucking gutted like a fucking fish.
0: But, yeah, so this scene, we've said a number of times this scene's great. And... I think we have undersold it. This scene is perfect. If this scene if this were a short film, this would be just perfect. <laughs> we I mean I'm, I'm listen, I'm not saying the rest of the movie makes the movie worse. I'm saying just this scene alone. you just package this scene, have it run in front of those Pixar movies, like those old shorts with the with the lamp. uh, this is like a perfect short film it it is so great. It is perfect escalation. It's like it starts, it's kind of mysterious, kind of, like I said, kind of sexy, kind of fun, kind of funny when she's cracking jokes about, you know, how the Nightmare on Elm Street series sucked. Then it gets like slowly like more disturbing. And then when Boyfriend gets gutted, then it's like, holy shit. And it's just like at 11 for the rest of the scene. It is perfectly directed. It was perfectly acted by Drew Barrymore. Roger L. Jackson, the voice of Ghostface, awesome. It's a great performance by him. We never see him. It's all vocal. This is Chef's Kiss right here. I said it's one of the best opening sequences in a horror movie. It's one of the best opening sequences in a movie. One of the best sequences in a horror movie, opening or not. It's so good.
1: Oh, it's perfect. From the banter on the phone, the quick references to, you know, Michael Myers and Halloween and and just setting the stage to really bring the the meta references and the meta ideas to scream just like from the first scene in the franchise and this continues like the rest of it from 1996 to i guess 2023 was the last one i think they're supposed to be there well
0: they're they're working on one now but they've also fired half the actors yeah that that that
1: movie that movie was supposed to come out in like march but between yeah, the, I, between the strike happening and then firing, I think Courtney
0: Cox is the only one who's still on board. <laughs> yeah, I
1: think she might be. Well, apparently they've been taking interviews on the. They, low. they can
0: they can reach deep into their bag and bring Nev back though, can't they? I feel like that's that's in the ballpark for them. But who knows?
1: She's been sounding like she might do
0: it. Has she? Okay, I, I was I was just that's just blind speculation for me. I didn't I haven't heard anything. But because she was in the first of the new ones, the 2022 one, and then 2023, I think it was mainly they weren't giving her enough money, but I do think there was like a little bit of like, I'm kind of just done with the series. And it's like, listen, money can solve any kind of fatigue out there. So if they just if they just give her all the money they were going to give to Jenna Ortega and stuff, they can they can probably get her back.
1: Then we cut to after, you know, we get the title sequence. We know we're in for some scary shit. We cut to our hero, Sydney Prescott, hanging out in her room. And it's the perfect introduction for a future scream queen. She's just like, looks just like a nice person. She seems kind of happy,
0: sexy, but not bimbo y. Yes. If that makes sense. It makes perfect sense. Right? It's like, like the perfect amount of sexy, but still wholesome. Okay, that's a good one. I was going I was going to say sexy but still dignified as if people who are super sexy and confident in their bodies can't be dignified. I'm just talking about how movies usually portray women, right?
1: yeah 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 i mean they make a big point about her being like quote-unquote a virgin so it's like although she's not, like not
0: the... really a virgin more just not really into sex at the moment it's i i, she's I don't got, they, started the off, she's they started off they started
1: off hot and heavy and they've yes. gone cold or whatever he says later on
0: she i think she describes herself as sexually anorexic at one point maybe sexually bulimic so i think it's, buli-
1: I, I, think it's bu- I think it was bulimic that
0: makes less sense because that seems like you have sex and then you throw up afterwards
1: uh, I think her, I think her friend, which, which
0: is you know, come to think of it, women I've been with that's that describes that. So,
1: Sydney's in her room and like something kind of weird is going on by the window, and you're getting kind of like, oh, was she next on on the list? But then her boyfriend Billy pops up because he likes to sneak in through the window because they're in high school and it's late at night or it's a school it's a school night. These are like she yes. she can't have a boyfriend upstairs. They have some cool chit chat. They
0: like. Also, the boyfriend, He's trying to bone. Skeet Ulrich. Skeet, Skeet Ulrich. Great name. What the fuck name is this? But also, like, this guy... It's not his real It's not his real name. Okay, I mean, that makes sense. But they, they went to the Johnny Depp school for, to cast this guy. Oh, they, they got the a, same name. They dude. wanted a bad boy.
1: Could you believe his name is not Skeet and his name is not Ulrich? Can you believe that?
0: i I suppose. I don't know why you would choose that as a stage name, though. His it's name is name.
1: Brian Ray Trout.
0: Um, Some weird names in general in this movie, like Drew. Is Drew Barrymore the only woman named Drew that you can think of? Uh, um, and then you got Nev. Nev is kind of a weird name, too.
1: Nev is super weird. But Billy's, like, spitting game, trying to, like, convince his girl to give him a little quickie, and she's not having it. You know, she's been going through something. They just allude to it. We can hold off on it, because... The movie holds off on it. She does flash him, so she's fun. She's a fun girl. She's mm-hmm. not doing the hanky panky, but she'll still show some titty, and Billy loves that. Yeah. Billy loves that. And then you know, Dad comes and says he thought he heard something. He trusts his daughter. She says it's nothing. He trusts her. He's a perfect little angel. And he says like, I'm gonna, I gotta leave town to go on this work trip or something like that.
0: And then the dad's basically out of the movie for the rest of it.
1: And then the next day, like the media sensation and the cops are all at the school and then we're getting introduced to Sydney's friends you know we meet Tatum her bestie we meet Stu
0: weinstein accuser rose mcgowan yeah course, playing jason tatum i don't know if this is one of the movies where or if this is like where sh- some of the weinstein stories come from and then yeah yeah so we got stew stew of course matthew lillard i would say i've always kind of thought this matthew lillard is the crispin glover of the 90s you know what I mean? It's a nice little take. He plays like real he plays the same kind of really weird characters. He overacts, but in a really compelling way, to the point where I'd say he's talented but just weird, kind of like Crispin Glover back in the eighties. And then who who else? We, we get Jamie Kennedy as, as Randy. Randy. Yep. The film bro. In this movie, he's mostly just horror nerd. In Scream Two, they kinda of make him more of a film bro.
1: Yeah. He expands his palette in Scream Two in film class.
0: I think he's a bit of love it or hate it. I, I could see people being really annoyed by him.
1: How could you be annoyed by Randy? He's the man.
0: I think the character is appealing and, and written in a fun way, but Jamie Kennedy is just not the not the guy. He's he's son Jamie Kennedy, it's son of mask we're talking about. It's Jamie Kennedy. He's really one of the worst actors of all time. <laughs> he
1: was in Romeo
0: and Juliet. Not not selling me on who is he? Is he uh Benvolio?
1: He is Samson minor character he wasn't benvolio he wasn't he wasn't swinging dick like that he wasn't cool like that
0: oh yeah benvolio i think is uh david boreanaz if i'm not mistaken. no
1: benvolio was think... dash me hoke
0: who the hell's that it's it's beside the point because i think romeo and juliet <laughs> the 90s romeo and juliet is one of the worst cast movies ever so, you're, you're so you're wild for of, i think leo's good in that movie i think everyone else is just like horror, horribly miscast you didn't think john, john wasn't he tybalt he
1: is tybalt and he's great
0: John Leguizamo's like a comedy guy. Why do you get him as, like, threatening Tybalt? That's just weird.
1: Because he plays a scary Puerto Rican. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I don't know. I don't know, man. I don't know. You're fun. telling it's me that
1: Paul that Sorvino, Sorvino
0: as... as the... Paul Sorvino's fine. fine. He's great.
1: He's great, man. Paul Rudd as Paris.
0: <laughs> There's a few decent performances in that movie, but <laughs> this is a bit too much Jamie Kennedy for my liking. <laughs>
1: we're at school and that's kind of where we learn about what went down with sydney so we meet the very cool straight up hot corny cox deputy
0: dewey oh you're a deputy dewey guy right you're 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 an arquette advocate
1: i'm a huge advocate
0: i think his character in this movie deputy dewey there's a lot that I like about him. I think he's a little too goofy at times. I think mostly it works. I do like how they establish this because they call in Sydney into the principal's office. Principal, of course, Henry Winkler. They call her in, and she gets refers to him immediately as Dewey, and he's like, "No, no, it's Officer." Yeah, Officer Riley. Yeah, because he's he's Tatum's older brother, and he's like, no, no, it's it's Officer Riley today, Sid. And I like how that establishes, okay, they're actually like they know each other, they're they're family friends, but like, no, 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 this is serious. This is we're not here to chit chat. There's also like one really quick line. I think I think it's the principal says something to the or it's someone says something to someone, and it's like she's the one who's um, and so like hinting at this trauma. Yeah, that we still don't really get, and the the trauma we we learn about the trauma through. I think it, is it Courtney Cox or it might, it, well, it is Courtney Cox, but I think it's when we see it on the news, but I'm, I could be wrong.
1: Yeah, it's like she kind of like knows all the cops like like pretty quickly and Courtney Cox comes and it brings up like the first anniversary
0: and the rape of your murder of your mom, Maureen Prescott by Cotton Weary. Crazy name. Not not. I mean, we've been talking about actor names come to think of it, Liv Schreiber, that's a weird name, too. But weird character name, Cotton Weary. Cotton but Weary. It, it is crazy to me. Were they thinking of making a Scream 2 when they made Scream 1? Because Liv Schreiber is way too big of an actor to be featured in like one shot. I'm sure it was somewhat on their mind. That might have even been like a insert shot later after the movie was like mostly complete. And it was like, okay, yeah, this is going to be a hit. We're going to get a sequel. Let's get a little shot of Cotton Weary because he's coming back for Scream 2 or something.
1: And, you know, that's when Sid is that when the punch happens that's not yet i don't think i
0: think i think that's a little later but but yeah so we got to establish who courtney cox is she's she's gail weathers and which again crazy name i love they they do make some kind of joke out of how she she sounds like a weather
1: reporter but weather weather
0: woman name but she's a sleazy tabloid reporter who wrote a very popular book yeah and the book is about not just the murder of Sydney's mother, but the book is specifically about how Cotton Weary probably didn't do it. And the book is about how Sydney lied through her teeth on the stand. So it's like, yeah, absolutely. Turns out to be right, although not necessarily about Sydney lying, but about the mother not being killed by Cotton Weary. But obviously, like a sleazy character. And, and, get, and Courtney Cox plays this perfectly. This is a really fun character. And Courtney Cox.
1: She just wants to get her goddamn story. She's just like, she's going to go after that story. She's not going to stop him. She's going to get it.
0: The right combination of comedic chops with, like, determined woman in the workplace. Like, ruthlessness, you know?
1: Yeah, she's fantastic. So that night, you know, Sydney goes home tatum promises to like pick her up or something or stop by or something and she's at home and lo and behold ghostface calls ghostface is taunting sydney about her mother maureen's death and you know sydney's freaking out and then ghostface somehow has gotten into the home bursts out the fucking closet and starts chasing her we have a classic staircase scene one of my favorite Becomes a super trope. It's used in the scary movie two, I believe. I think even maybe scary movie one. Just it's like
0: not, I think the first one. Yeah, she gets
1: upstairs. I see something that I've never seen before. Well, she like kind of
0: does this thing
1: where she like closes her closet door and that blocks her door to the hallway from opening. And then she like types. She like calls nine one one by like typing it on her computer. Never seen that shit done anywhere else.
0: I, I've seen I've seen that in in some movies. I can't remember what.
1: All of a sudden, the ghost face is gone. She like turned her back to the killer for some reason, something they do in all horror movies, the silliest shit. And then Billy, her boyfriend, pops up at the window and is trying to calm her down.
0: And in the funniest scene of the movie, a cell phone falls out of his pocket and that immediately is Horrific. Immediate... cell phones are weird in 1996. has yeah, It's, like, them. it's so, like why the so fuck do you have, a cell, have a cell phone? You are a suspect.
1: Why do you have a cell phone? And then she runs downstairs. Yeah, I, lo- I love
0: that. That's just this like perfect kind of like fun dated thing.
1: She runs downstairs and she runs out the front door and she gets scared by the mask but it's just officer Dewey holding up the mask that he found and of course because Billy is a suspect they're all taken to the station and Billy's all like I didn't do this blah 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 cops say that they can't find Sydney's dad, and they're going to do a phone check to see if Billy's phone is connected to the call made to Sydney's house or, or Casey's house. And that night, Sid's going to stay with T- at Tatum's at Tatum's house. And this is when the yeah. punch happens. Gail Weathers, once again, mm-hmm. goes to Sydney, says her mom was having a lot of affairs, especially with Conn. He didn't do the killing. And Sydney punches him in the face. Bam, Sid, super bitch, which Tater Leibson calls her. Also, I think it's mm-hmm. crazy that, you know, this white woman privilege that you can assault another person outside the police station and get away with it. It's shit's crazy. Yeah. Not even, not even, no one even says like, hey, don't do that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's just like, oh yeah, she well, just punched I, her will, in the but face. Th-
0: but I also think that's like, it's understood like that Gail Weathers is just this complete bitch that like it's like oh yeah this is this is perfectly reasonable it's
1: understood but by all means then
0: <laughs> no yeah someone would do something but i want to draw your attention to one thing here so i mentioned matthew lillard is the crispin glover of the 90s there's a mild connection to back to the future here here's a much more major connection because tatum's mother and also dewey's mother and dewey of course lives with them is actress Frances lee mccain who plays Lorraine's mother, aka Marty's grandmother in 1955 Back to the Future? So, she also plays the mother in Gremlins. So, a couple of classic mom roles, kind of small roles. Gremlins being the biggest of those three. She's like a, probably has like three lines in Scream, but yeah, I think she's little, just in that one scene in Scream. Yeah, and and she's only in one scene in Back to the Future, but it's a bigger scene than it is in Scream.
1: Yeah, so they're at they're at Tatum's crib. There's like a funny interaction with well first Ghostface calls there and it says you got the wrong guy accused your boyfriend makes her feel bad That's right. Then she hangs up or he hangs up and then Dewey comes in and like his boxers or his like yeah. pajamas looking all goofy. He's like holding a gun. And he's like yeah. he's like hello. <laughs> and there's yeah. no one there. They cut so, the next So so this scene.
0: this phone call because the, because the killer calls while Billy's locked up. This is ultimately what gets Billy released
1: that and they also checked his phone and the phone the the phone trace did not go through to him right the phone trace actually went through to sydney's dad's phone that's right yeah so now her dad who's missing becomes a suspect though they don't tell that to sydney obviously Mm -hmm. the sheriff's theory is like you know the maybe the one year anniversary made him snap who knows what goes on in people's minds kind of thing The next day, Sid goes back to school because even though you were about to be killed last night in America, where do kids go? They go to school. I would not have gone to school. I wouldn't, uh, well, if I was a missing parent, I guess I wouldn't have a say, but if someone tried to murder me, I wouldn't go to school and or work the next day.
0: Well, and you have, in in an American school, you have a higher chance of dying there anyways.
1: Exactly. So, but, you know, Sid goes back to school. She bumps into Billy and he's like, oh, super cool and...
0: No, I didn't do it. Like, he's he's and he's playing it in such an exaggerated bad boy way, too. Mm -hmm. At this point in the movie, it seems like he's playing it so suspiciously that it's like, oh, he couldn't possibly be the killer because it's too obvious, you know.
1: He's still trying to get laid, honestly, which is hilarious. And he's bringing up how (laughs) she's not trying to fuck and he's got to get over her mom's death because his mom is ran out on him or something
0: meanwhile there's guys in ghost face costumes running around the school just having a ball
1: like these piece of shit teenagers they're
0: just just goofing and they get pulled into the principal's office principal fonzie and he pulls the knife on them and he gets really weird and i think this is like a in my opinion kind of failed like oh is he a suspect kind of thing i mean maybe it's just supposed to be funny that the principal is like this like threatening to these students he's kind of like like the
1: principal in back to the future he's just like he's like hitting these kids <laughs> with some real, some crazy real shit, like, and he expels them. Does he? expel them? Okay. Yeah. yeah, he's like you. No, you're right. No, he, so he's like, he, he's like, I should expel you for your. He's like, you're expelled, and I'm like, come on, it was just a joke, and he's just like, just a joke, and he's like, I should like cut you guys up and then, yeah. like expose you for the In, weak, insane, gutless, insane
0: like. stuff to say. But again, yeah. this before cell phones is before anyone's filming this and uploading it to YouTube or whatever. So <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, for real.
0: And then Sydney runs into presumably the real Ghostface in the bathroom. Well, first she is using the bathroom and she hears two girls
1: come in talking shit about her mom and how her mom was a slut. And yeah, this is good. Like, have all these theories about like either Sydney's actually the killer. Or yeah, and they're just making fun of her, and Sydney gets really, really upset, and she's like, kind of like crying by the sink, and she kind of hears a noise, and she looks around. She like kinda like looks under the stalls and see anything, but then she sees two feet like kinda come down. Obviously, someone who's like standing on the toilet seat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she gets a little scared, but not until she sees like the cloak fall down to cover the boots. Yeah, the boots
0: are boots are first, then the cloak, yeah.
1: And then she runs to the door and the killer opens the bathroom stall. And it's like the stall closest to the door. And the killer, like, lunges at her and she slides underneath and, like, gets outside and runs down the hallway. Doesn't call out for help or anything. Just keeps running. Runs past an adult, I'm pretty sure, who looks at her like, what the fuck? Or another student. Definitely someone is in that hallway. Does she run
0: past Linda Blair? I know Linda Blair has a cameo in one of these scenes. I think she's, like, a newscaster outside the school. It'd be funny if she ran by Linda Blair and then Linda Blair's head just spins and, like, keeps following following her. And then, the school day's
1: over, and Tatum and Sid are kind of just bouncing around town, just doing things they go shopping. Well, the school school day's
0: over, it's also, like, there's, like, a curfew, and isn't school, like, canceled?
1: Well, first, first, they suspend school to, like, have the curfew for a bit. Yeah. And then, the principal, Fonzie, gets killed in his office. He's, like, he's, like, he's, like, he's, like, hanging out alone. Looking he in the keeps mirror, and throwing so, the ghostface keeps...
0: mask on, and he he also checks the hallway because he thinks he hears something, and it's just Wes Craven in Freddy Krueger's sweater, and he's like, "Oh, sorry, his, his Fred. And it's like that." Sorry, Fred. Yeah, Classic. that's too much. That's 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 too much. much. I, mean. I love that's that. I love that. I'm all for a Wes Craven cameo.
1: It would have been too much if he would have said sorry, Freddy. That would have been too much. Yeah,
0: you're right. It would have been worse with that. But yeah, full sweater, full fedora. Uh, that scene doesn't sit quite right with me. Do you
1: do you hate fun?
0: No, 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 no. And in speaking of fun, there's a there's a one of my favorite scenes in the movie is when the sheriff is talking to Deputy Dewey. I think they're talking about the possibility of the dad being a suspect, and the sheriff is like taking these like dramatic pauses and and these drags from his cigarette meanwhile dewey is standing next to him with like an ice cream cone and dewey is like trying to look serious and cool when he just licks his ice cream cone i find that scene hilarious it's so wonderfully performed by david arquette so if we want to talk fun that's one of the most fun scenes of the movie to me
1: that is a very 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 good scene but uh, school is suspended, so at that point, they decide well, and, and we, what all we teenagers pick up with, do.
0: We pick up with Randy, of course, who works at the video store, and Billy and Stu, like sura- well, I think he, he's talking to Stu. It's just Stu, it's just Stu. Well, he's talking to Stu at first, and then he, he, he's, he says, like, that's weird. They're talking about suspects. Yeah, B- like... well, he's talking about every everybody's a suspect. If everybody saw Prom Night, they'd understand. He's he's this, we can solve this mystery from knowing all this stuff about horror movies that I know. And then he's pointing out how weird it is that Billy just released from jail a suspect in, in a killing. Why would he be hanging out? in the horror section that's kind of weird but then billy like sneaks up on him and they do this thing and i think at that point it's like kind of billy and stew kind of surrounding him and being kind of intimidating and creepy but I, maybe it's just billy
1: how do we know it's not you and he's like it totally could yeah. be me i'd be the well, perfect I think suspect he,
0: does is this where he's no he later on he says he's a virgin i thought maybe he mentions that here
1: and that's we kind of see billy be very at this point you're starting to wonder about billy you kind of thought oh maybe like it was an accident his phone was being he didn't his phone wasn't connected he's just really horny but that scene <laughs> well, kind of like, yeah, it's like what's up with this guy and then randy has the famous it's 1995 motives are incidental line it's the millennium yeah yeah then that's when it cuts to them having a party
0: a little a little blowout and who whose house is this it's Stu's, right it's not billy's and it's not randy's Although Randy certainly makes himself at home because he brings all the horror VHSs and is like, okay, we're going to watch Halloween, we're going to watch Prom Night, we're going to watch Terror Train, you know, all these Jamie Lee Curtis movies, and then they make a couple jokes about Jamie Lee Curtis's tits. It's like, that's why she's in all these. And he's like, no, no, no. She she never showed her tits until Trading Places in 1983. And it's like, the whole point is that to be a survivor in a horror movie, you have to be a virgin. And then this is when he goes, he's like the ultimate buzzkill. He pauses the movie and has to explain rules to horror movies to everybody who are like, they're kind of into it because everyone's just drinking and having a good time. But what are the rules? He says, that you, you can never say, I'll be back. Never say, I'll be back. Do not have sex. Do not have and sex. If, I want to say there's one or two others, but those are kind of the main ones. And then there's a fun moment where Stu offers to go grab a beer and is like, "Hey, uh, Randy, you want one?" And he's like, "Yeah, sure." And then he's like, "I'll be right back." That's that's great. I love that. I love that moment. Again, Lillard chewing the scenery, but in a great way.
1: Oh, it was don't do drugs or drink.
0: And the guy don't don't, don't do drugs. Don't don't drink. And And the the guy cheers him. Don't have sex is rule number one. Don't drink, don't do drugs. It's an extension of number one or something like that.
1: But it's Stu's house they have the party at.
0: Yeah, because Stu's wearing his, like, Playboy robe or something.
1: Stu asks Tatum to get more beer, which she does, and we know that when she goes down. So while Randy's giving this speech about how to survive a horror film, Tatum goes downstairs to the garage. The garage door keeps opening, so she goes to keep closing it. And then eventually she goes to like leave, and the door is locked. And then Ghostface comes in, and she thinks it's Stu fucking with her. And Ghostface cuts her arm, and then she realizes that this person's not fucking around. And they get into an altercation, and she throws their beer bottle. And they got a great shot of Ghostface getting whacked with the bottle and it blowing up and getting wet everywhere. And Tatum tries to stupidly crawl out of the doggy door. Yeah. <laughs> Gets stuck. And Ill-advised. then. Yeah, then Ghostface lifts the garage door, and it, like, snaps her spine or something like that, which sucks, but that's just kind of how it goes. And then the kids hear about the principal being killed, and his body's, like, hanging in the football stadium or something like that. Yeah, and then then they they all just leave to go go
0: see it, (laughs) which I love that. I I would probably have done that in high school, I think.
1: While this is all happening, Dewey and Gail are hanging out. Dewey's, like, you know, protecting the neighborhood, like, he knows there's a lot of kids in this spot. Gail's chasing her case, and she knows that you know, Sydney's at this party, so it's likely that the killer's probably going to show up at uh-huh. this party or something like that.
0: Yeah, so she sets up a secret camera right above the television.
1: Yeah, so Dewey, Dewey's risen up Gale. Gale's kind of liking Dewey for some reason. He's kind of doofy. and
0: Well, yeah, yeah, the whole, the relationship starts, they kind of connect earlier in the movie, and it really starts as like a, Dewey's kind of into Gale. He knows he shouldn't be because, you know, he's kind of friends with, Sydney and, and. But she's, she's hot. Person. But she's hot. And. She's um, famous as well. And and she's kind of schmoozing up to him, mostly just to kind of get closer to information because he's a cop and she thinks she can manipulate him. But at this point, the relationship ca- kind of becomes real.
1: They're vibing. They're totally vibing, like in every way. And. So he, before the kids leave to go look at the dead body, Dewey comes in to make sure everyone's okay. Flexity's with her. He's like, she's with me to his sister when his sister's like, why is she here? Cause they know that's beef. And then yeah, Gail puts the camera in there, but it's on, it's got a delay. It's like a 30 second delay or something like that.
0: Yeah. And I like how they establish that because it's important later, obviously. Also, her we we haven't mentioned her cameraman who takes a lot Kenny. of use in this movie. No, not Kenny. Kenny, that's his name. I but I I is like it that Kenny? actor. Is il- it Kenny? Kenny sounds right. Yeah, W. Earl Brown is the actor, a wonderful actor in the television show Deadwood, one of the best HBO shows ever. So shout out to him.
1: Kenny's a cool dude, man. Kenny doesn't deserve what comes his way.
0: Well, yeah, and, and before he gets killed, obviously he gets killed the way we're talking about him, he just takes a ton of abuse from Gale. He's just, just
1: always yelling lead. at him, calling him fat. Yeah, yeah really exactly. hostile work environment stuff.
0: She's just so mean.
1: He just takes it, he doesn't say anything back ever.
0: He's, he's a professional.
1: He's a good guy. But Dewey and Gale are hanging out. They heard about a car that's, like, abandoned off-road a couple hundred... Yards down the road, so they go on foot yeah. for some reason. They didn't drive over there. Well, they
0: they go on foot because they want it, because they don't actually think the car is going to come of anything. But but he needs to look into it and why not make it make it a romantic walk, you know?
1: I don't know about romantic walks in the dark in suburbs when there's kills around, but that's just me. Hey, hey man, that's I, just that's just me. I'm I'm built different. I,
0: I'm not I'm not in the mindset of someone who could score with Courtney Cox pre awful plastic surgery here okay i can't relate to this this is this is damn, dude. logical damn. him just had
1: to take a shot at her fucking plastic surgery I, listen, she's
0: she's she's terrifying in the new scream movies i'm sorry the the worst the worst the worst killer the most terrifying killer in those movies is her plastic surgeon <laughs> jesus christ <dude. laughs> she looks like a monster <laughs> she doesn't look like a human being anymore i'm sorry
1: she's so good in them still though
0: I mean she's fun still. Oh well, actually she's not as fun because the character isn't really the same character anymore. You
1: think the character changes
0: a lot? Yeah, she's not bitchy power hungry reporter anymore. She's kinda just a normal person after a while. And in and, and I mean it makes sense in the arc of the series because she eventually befriends Sid Cindy and, and stuff or Sydney, pardon me. So that all makes sense, but she's just not as fun at that point. She's
1: like, yeah, she becomes like the housewife kind of thing, but she kind of holds on to the glory days and then she kind of gets back into the game a little bit by six where she's like,
0: yeah, I mean, listen, they still do some interesting things with her. It's just she's not as <laughs> <a> character.
1: <laughs> just some. Um,
0: I don't know. I think this, this is Scream 5. I thought the real Shining Star of Scream 5 was David Arquette. I I really liked what they did with his character. I thought that was bringing back a legacy character in, in an actually interesting way. I thought that was really neat.
1: We need Dewey back. But they wrote him off. But he lasted a long time.
0: He did. And you know, my thing I know you and I have talked about this. The Scream series, the first movie here, it's truly like a anyone can potentially die. I mean, granted, we're, we're just establishing these characters, but seemingly main characters are killed off, i.e., Tatum. Scream 2, of course, kills off one of the main characters. We won't say which. And then kind of after that, the Scream series lost its balls and was unwilling to kill off any of the characters that we had known and loved until Scream 5 finally threw a bit of a monkey wrench in there and finally did something different. But then Scream 6, it's like, we're going to kill off Courtney Cox. Oh, no, she survives. Like, what the fuck is this? Courtney Cox should die about four different times in the
1: series. (laughs) I did not like that they let her live in Six. And I Although did not like again
0: considering she's the only actor signed on for Scream Six at this point it was probably the wise move
1: and I forget her name Kirby Kirby played by Hand and Pantera. they should not yeah. have let her live in Scream Six either
0: oh did, I I couldn't even remember if she lived I,
1: I she lived imagine. and also the twin the sister that was stabbed the the siblings that were stabbed
0: yeah everybody yeah fucking again lived. again no one they don't the Scream series. It's a slasher series that's, like, unwilling to kill its characters. It, it becomes so frustrating after a period of time. You say it's a perfect franchise. It's
1: They can I, choose to do that, and it's still highly entertaining.
0: No, no, listen, they're entertaining movies, but I think the Scream series lost its bite, if you will. And not just in, like, the satire sense, but just in the storytelling sense, in the anyone-can-die sense. Like, imagine... Not the best comparison, but imagine game of game of, hell Game of Thrones kind of did this. It's like at first it's like oh anyone can die, then it's just like oh no, John Snow is going to end up being the hero. John Snow and Arya. So yeah, I guess I guess Game of Thrones really kind of did do that.
1: Game of Thrones brought John Snow back to save the show yeah
0: literally that was that was when i gave up on the show i'm like what, what was interesting about this show was that it didn't conform to typical narrative and character structure there is no protagonist i don't know who's going to end up being the hero or if there is even is going to be a singular singular hero Jon snow dies oh awesome because i didn't like him because he has one facial expression the entire series then they bring him back from the dead and i'm like oh fuck this He's gonna be the hero now. He's gonna be the
1: you hero, know? and he is the. I, mean, hero. I, I
0: was, I was out at that moment, whenever that was, season four, season five. I don't know. I'm like this. I'm done with this show. Everyone said Game of Thrones went downhill in the last season. Seeds were planted, man. Seeds were planted. Yeah, yeah I think Game of, I think Game four of Thrones goes was, was at least a little bit downhill.
1: I think Game of Thrones was eight seasons. I think the first four are perfect. I think I five agree. is
0: season four is amazing.
1: Five is near perfect six yeah, i think that's when Kind six started six is like what's going like why is the quality changing and then seven or eight are garbage
0: yeah that's i think that's mostly accurate
1: but anyway back to scream so while they're on their walk they realize that it's the dad Sydney's dad's card neil so they're like holy shit neil's around here somewhere Oh, uh, let's go back to the house and make sure everything's okay and at that point Billy shows up and he's spitting game and shit and Sid's been drinking a little bit and she's like oh like I forgive you like let's let's like let's make up let's go upstairs and they're upstairs talking about like making they're getting good and shit and Sid's like trying to like put her past behind her and being quote unquote like normal and then she fucks He has sex
0: with Billy. Why can't we be a good Meg Ryan movie, or maybe even a good porno? She talks about their relationship as if they're movies earlier. She says that they're like a PG movie, and it's like, oh, maybe we can get it up to PG-13.
1: After sex, Sid's like, so who did you call? And he's like, what do you mean? And he's like, oh, who'd you you get your it's one like, call to Dan
0: Aykroyd and Bill Murray what are you talking about yeah
1: he's like I called my dad and she's like no sheriff whatever his name said that he called your dad and he's like oh my he didn't get him so I, I didn't get him so the sheriff called and he's like you still don't believe me after all this and then while he's saying that Ghostface sneaks in from behind and she's like watch out and he turns around and gets stabbed I think three or four times in the stomach mm-hmm. b- by Ghostface. and Billy turns around and says to Sid uh do do you believe me now? Well, he's like, we know. And he dies. And then Ghostface chase. chase, sit around for a while. It's a very elaborate chase scene. She's in the attic. She's on the side of the house. She's inside. At one
0: point she discovers Tatum's body.
1: And she hides in the cop car, but then they get away or something. And then she meets up with Kenny. And when she's meeting up with Kenny, they realize that they see the, the killers by the, they see the doors to the houses open. So Kenny like looks and sees that ghost faces. I love
0: how Randy is just by himself watching Halloween at this point, and he's very very drunk. And it's the scene and he just the, wants to hang out and watch horror movies.
1: <laughs> it's the scene where Michael Myers is like creeping up behind the babysitter.
0: Yeah, there's a there's a fun meta joke where he's he's like talking to the the scream, and he's like, "Jamie, Jamie, he's right behind you, Jamie." And this is while the killer is literally right behind Jamie Kennedy.
1: Yeah. Awesome filmmaking. And suddenly Ghostface turns around and then he does not kill uh, Randy. And Kenny, Kenny's like, kind of looks all messed up and Sid's like, what's wrong? And he's like, it's on a delay. And then suddenly Ghostface pops up right there and cuts his throat and kills him. And then she hides in the car. She gets away. And then Dewey comes back with Gale, which doesn't go too well for them, and Dewey gets stabbed in the back, I believe. Yeah. Gail tries to drive away. Kenny's like body, like comes on top of the the blood.
0: Yeah, the the windshield's covered in blood.
1: Plus the yeah. windshield, and then she like crashes her car, and she's knocked out, and sits still on the run. And then she locks. She like sees Stu and Randy, and they're accusing each other of being the killer. And then she like goes into the house and locks it. And then out of nowhere, Billy just like comes like falling down the stairs or something or he's just like right there like all alive and shit and he's like let randy in and he's like we all he's like Stu went fucking crazy blah 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 and billy has the famous line where his like voice kind of in demeanor changes and suddenly he's like not injured and he's like we all go a little crazy sometimes and he shoots randy man like on some killing in the shoulder yeah Yeah, he fucking gets shot on the shoulder and flies and then all of a sudden billy's like ah i'm a fucking killer He's the killer, and then Stu comes in, and Stu's like, "I'm the other killer," and then that's when the whole reveal. It's exact dialogue. <laughs> yeah, like I'm the killer too, brother. <laughs> <laughs> and then that's when the whole crazy, deep, chart, twar- twisted timeline reveal. Billy is the one that killed Sydney's mom a year ago and fucking raped her and did all this crazy shit because her mom really was having an affair.
0: And yeah so, her mom wrecked his parents marriage
1: and that's why billy's mom ran off so billy had to kill sydney's mom because he's a psychopath mom's boy as sydney calls him
0: and what's what's Stu's motivation
1: he doesn't even peer have pressure. Like peer pressure peer, no he, he doesn't
0: <laughs> at one point when when he's like badly injured she's like and why are you doing this and he's like peer pressure i'm very sensitive or something
1: yeah and the, they bring out sid's dad they kidnapped him that's why he's been missing for these days and they're gonna pin all the crimes on him which is kind of a smart move well, yeah. They they stab each other, like, try to, like, make it seem like they're going to be the only survivors. And Sid's, like, calling them crazy and shit. And her boyfriend, Billy, gets so mad and starts screaming at her. But it's like he's this dude. You, you sick
0: fucks. You've seen too many movies. And Skeet is, has got his
1: fucking, he's, like, spitting everywhere. Movies don't create uh, psychos.
0: Well, yeah. There's that. M- movies make psychos more creative, which is a great. There's a lot of great lines in this movie. But when he when he and Stu are like switching off, like stabbing and cutting each other, it's very clear he cuts Stu way too deep, and like Stu is not going to make it. Yeah. And so Stu is kind of just dying for the rest of the movie. <laughs> and that's that's where some He's of the... like I'm feeling a little
1: woozy here.
0: Yeah, yeah. That's where a lot of the Matthew Lillard overacting is is just a spectacular. Part.
1: Well, it's funny because like before it happened like stew was like very like not trying to give billy the knife at first and billy had to yell at him for it because he knew that billy was gonna stab him hard probably
0: yeah I, I i really like their interaction when they're revealed to be the killers because like Stu, as we mentioned doesn't really have motivation he was just kind of pressured into this and he's he's like the but he's but he's like having fun with it more so than billy billy is not necessarily having fun he's doing it for a reason but Stu is, like, having fun until it becomes real for him. It doesn't become real for him when he kills people. It becomes real when he starts getting stabbed. And then it's, like, you can almost see, that, like, he just regrets everything. It's great. It's great. These, this Lillard performance, I keep going back to that. I think it's the best performance in the movie. And this is a movie with, like, some really good acting. Nev Campbell is awesome. She's so good. And I will say, like, like Lillard is over the top. Uh, Jamie Kennedy's over the top. Dewey's goofy, Gail Weather's goofy over the top. Nev Campbell completely straight. And she holds the movie together because just by and large, this movie, you know, it it's constantly threatening to go over the edge to just not being believable or to being parody or, you know, satire. And instead, it 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 is satirical, but it's satirical about the genre. It's still a serious horror movie. And I think so much of that comes from Nev Campbell's performance because she plays it. Authentically scared, authentically strong as a character. Yeah, I think the movie rests on her shoulders in a lot of ways.
1: It's a fair fair take, and that's why she comes back always. Except for Until until she doesn't. (laughs) Until she doesn't, yeah. (laughs) Until six. (laughs) Until they got cheap. (laughs) But Stu's all fucked up and Billy's telling him, like, get the the dad, kneel, and then the gun goes missing and they don't know where the gun is, and then all of a sudden, Gail has the gun and she's threatening to shoot them and saying she's got the fucking, she's going to save the day and she's got the story. But uh, Billy just walks her down and fucking like punches her, kicks her. And like she goes fucking flying. She she doesn't know how
0: to turn the safety (laughs) off. Yeah, he says next
1: time don't forget to turn the safety off, dude.
0: I love that with Gail, too. It's like she has a chance to save the day, and she's still thinking about, like, what this is going to look like in the news. It's, it's like, so authentic to her character.
1: Truly. Um, But Sid, unlike Casey Becker in the beginning of the movie, who did not think at all sid was smart and she was on the move when gail was doing this because now she's they don't know where she is and she pops up and she's got the mask on and she's got
0: yeah why did she put the mask on this
1: she's just being a cool little badass she's giving them a piece of what they gave and she's stabbing she's stabbing billy with the fucking umbrella like that shit looks like it hurts so fucking much
0: Well, yeah, and they've all got stab wounds already at this point.
1: Yeah, like, totally brutal shit. You know, she kills Stu, she drops the fucking TV on his head. Classic scene. He's like, I always had a thing for you, Sid. And then he looks like he's about to rape her, but she gets the binge of him, she kicks him in the nuts, and drops the TV on his head. (laughs) If you're gonna be a serial killer, you should, like, wear a cup. If you're a dude. Eventually, Billy, like, you know, gets back at Sid, but, uh you know Gail comes to after getting her ass kicked and she gets her shot off she gets Billy and it just seems like Billy's gone but then Randy's alive and he's all like you know be careful they always have one last like scare like one last killing them or some shit and they're looking at Billy and he's like puts his head up for like a second screaming and then she just and he just shoots him in the head and goes not my movie and you know that's that's it the dad she goes to the dad and dad is good and the ambulance is coming and gail has a new reporter and she's like given the this just happened at the from the scene of the yeah, crime she's got like, like
0: like cuts open cuts on her face and everything as she's yeah i'm gail weathers and, and she, that's like as it, it's, it's kind of like dawn at that point
1: and There's like some teen 90s pop fucking song playing but then it transitions into uh nick cave's fucking sick theme that like plays times no it doesn't no
0: no that plays earlier that plays at curfew the nick cave and the bad seed song
1: does it not play Which... throughout the credits
0: no, no no they play the song whispers he's the whisper to a scream oh, uh, it's right, a cover you're right, you're it's right. not the original i can't remember it's a it's like an 80s like new wave british band is the original maybe late 70s and this is like a 90s cover but that's definitely the credit song the nick cave song might come later in the credits that's possible
1: and then that's it that's scream one
0: All right. We've been rather positive, and I'll hope you allow me to be at least a little bit negative here. Sure. So I mentioned the opening scene is just like perfect. The rest of the movie never quite gets up to that level, and that's kind of a shame. Although the climax is good, like a lot of the stuff going on in the house. It's also interesting to note that the climax is like a third of the movie. Like they get to that. This is about a two hour movie. They get to that house probably an hour and 15 minutes in right? I mean, it's, that's a big portion of the movie. Yes. But as for the problems, problems, I'm, I'll put the problems in quotes, and I'll, I'll start off first by a complete nitpick. This is just my personal taste when it comes to slasher movies. This movie is too classy. The slasher genre, as I talked last episode about Friday the 13th, the final chapter, the slasher genre is, in my eyes, a genre primarily of sleaze. I like the 80s ones. I like some of the early, you know, the, the 70s ones before it was a full-on movement. Because those are sleazy, exploitation-y films. A lot of nudity, a lot of violence. This movie, no nudity. You know, there's a little bit of sex, but there's no nudity. I, listen, I'm not saying the movie's worse because there's no nudity. I'm just saying my personal You're preference. saying
1: you want to see Sydney's titties.
0: It's Nev Campbell. I've seen Wild Things. I'm, I'm all for that, but wild things coming up later this season by the way but i don't this is completely a personal preference thing i like horror movies slasher movies that embrace the sleaze of the subject matter this tries to take some of the things that are in those movies and do something a little bit more highbrow we have the virgin character again not literally a virgin but someone who's abstaining from sex and then she finally has sex. And then the whole, like, once she has sex, then suddenly she's, like, about to die. And, like, literally after she has, right after she has sex, her boyfriend dies, except obviously he doesn't die. But, like, we even get the, like, when they're, because it's intercut with them watching Halloween and in the with the PJ Souls scenes. Like, Randy's like, oh, here comes the obligatory tit shot. And then it's, like, Nev Campbell taking off her bra, but you don't see anything. And it's, like... It, was this how it was supposed to be i I just feel like (laughs) just i just feel like it was set up as something different than it was but so no that's that's like a minor thing and you don't even have to engage in that part of my complaint because it's honestly not a fully formed one the bigger issues i have with this movie is the meta aspect of it i don't actually feel like the movie does anything that interesting with that and I think when people talk about this movie, they talk about like, oh, meta horror, like this is like, this is the first horror movie where like the characters in it have seen horror movies. So it's like you can, you can more easily relate to them. And I'm not going to be one of those guys that goes actually, you know, Return of the Living Dead, it has some meta horror aspects or Friday the 13th part six, like I don't care if it's the first or not. This clearly is more fully a meta horror than some of those earlier movies, but I feel like that's. Just an aspect of the story, and it doesn't enhance it a whole lot. Like, maybe it makes the characters a little bit more relatable, i.e. Randy. I, I think it works as like a, that's Randy's character. But I don't feel like it enhances the actual story. That's really my, one of my biggest issues with it. And I also think, just in general, the in, in the meta-horror aspect of this, is it plays a part. But Scream, as a movie, as a series, is, at least in theory a slasher movie that delves more into realism than other slasher movies. Ie, there's no unkillable Michael Myers or supernatural Freddy. And the fact that the characters have seen horror movies is part of this because in real life if we were to be in a slasher situation, we have seen slasher movies. But I don't think the film does much with this. I think it it, it creates a world that's easier to enter, to follow And relate with the characters, but then at the end of the day, it still gets rather exaggerated with the killers, and and it kind of loses that realism aspect. Speaking of realism, you like that Ghostface is clumsy. You like that Ghostface falls down. He's human. I I know, but it it's also like almost like too goofy. I I don't know. I I think I guess I I appreciate the attempt at realism, but I also feel like it's somewhat half baked. I feel like it doesn't hit that note in a way that really satisfies. And I suppose the more that I think of this, this is somewhat of a half-baked complaint as well. I think my biggest complaint is that the meta aspects don't really do much beyond aesthetics. They don't really do much beyond, oh, that's kind of a fun joke or a fun gag. It's fun that Jamie Kennedy is, is looking at the television and saying, you know, look out, Jamie, he's right behind you. It doesn't enhance the story. It doesn't ultimately elevate the film. And that's that's me. Feel free to step in and argue with any of those points because, again, reminder, I do like this movie. Just wanted to touch on these negative things because I feel like most people don't talk about these things as if they're negatives. And you know what? I'm, I'm going to correct myself. They're not negatives. They're just not necessarily positives. How about that?
1: I love meta shit. I think it's great. I think it's very of its time. I think people finally got smart enough without being too smart. I think people are too smart now. I think the nineties, 2000s... When, when you like, say
0: when you say people, do you mean movie viewers? Do you mean movie characters?
1: Audiences and characters. Yeah, I think most Both. films today okay. are just stupid, and jokes are really bad. Still, they just can't cook them up like that anymore. This is pre-internet.
0: It is. Pre slash very early internet. She does call the cops from the internet.
1: People think they're so smart nowadays because the internet. The dumbest people think they're smart. It's annoying.
0: I know. Listen, you and I both teach high school. We get this. Um, but <laughs> I was going. One thing I was going to say: there are a couple jokes in this movie. They're both from Tatum that are so dumb. I hate them. There's there's this one where she's talking to Nev Campbell and she's like, "Oh, calm down, Sid. You sound like you're in some Wes Carpenter flick." And it's like, you know what? fuck you if you if you know enough to know that there's a film uh, a horror film director named Wes and that there's a horror film director named Carpenter you're going to get the names right and then later on she says when she's in the garage she says something about like what is this i spit on your garage and it's like okay I thought Randy was the horror guy. It's just like everyone... Because I Spit on Your Grave is like a... It's not an obscure movie, but it's not like it's like a movie that a random high school girl would be familiar with. I don't know. It was a Jeopardy response a few weeks ago, so that's worth noting. But I don't know. I, these Minor complaints. I'm just like... There's a few jokes that are just too much for me. And those are some of them. I think the the Wes Craven cameo as Fred is is a bit much. And there's a few other things that are just like, eh, you know. Although I will say despite all those jokes, I think the horror scenes still take themselves very seriously and I appreciate that. And I think some of the scream sequels don't quite hit that balance. Like that opening scene is terrifying. A lot of the stuff in the climax is terrifying. That's great. I appreciate not letting the comedy overtake the horror.
1: There's an uneven tone of later ones, but they're still pretty brutal. It's always brutal deaths.
0: What are your thoughts on the Scream?
1: i think it's just very real and i think like i love that the killers are fucking human and goofy but not like absurdist like monster kind of human like texas chainsaw no, or like no. some crazy dream shit or michael myers who's like human but like pure evil allegedly and like can't die no matter what the fuck you yeah do or, him. or
0: you whether he's pure evil or not he's like mortal, the
1: scream basically. killers like these motherfuckers some of them were like Approved vest because they're fucking regular ass people, and you know, Sydney, who's just like some skinny little John dude, like she's not a big by any means person, or like Gail in these movie series, like they fucking fight Ghostface and like they could like win or incapacitate or get away, and it's just like this is just how this kind of shit would go down,
0: yeah. No, and 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 Sydney as a character is awesome, Nev Campbell, again is great in this movie but as like a character you really appreciate her being smart and you know most people will point to she shoots billy before he really has a chance to come back but like you know just other things too like like you mentioned getting away when billy's distracted by gail that's something you don't always see in horror movies
1: yeah and as a big simulation theory guy i just love the meta and talking about them as being in the movie and the reality the distortion of reality and i fucking just love it dude
0: okay you know what bothers me a little bit about meta aspects not just of scream but of just things of certain media right you know i'm a big literature guy yes i've read almost every shakespeare play Frequently in Shakespeare plays, namely Hamlet in A Midsummer Night's Dream, there is a play within a play. It always bothered me. Now, and I love the play within a play in Hamlet because it serves a story purpose, and I love the play within a play within A Midsummer Night's Dream. It doesn't serve a story por- purpose, but it's hilarious. However, when people, i.e. professors, and they get students talking about it, when we talk about plays within plays, the conversation usually ends with, It's meta. It should start with its meta, but but here it ends with its meta, and it's like, okay, what purpose does this serve? I don't know. That's kind of the complaint I have about the meta-ness in Scream. It's like, it's there. I just don't think it serves that much of a purpose. And I'm not saying the Shakespeare meta stuff doesn't. I'm just saying most people don't dig deeper to see what the purpose is, and maybe that's the case with Scream. Maybe I haven't dug deep enough to see what the purpose is, but I'm going to gone on a limb and say that's not the case because I've probably seen this movie a dozen times and I don't know.
1: Just look harder.
0: I listen. I've tried. <laughs> well, what do you? What can you tell me? What's the meaning? What's what's the point? I think, Other than like, I think it's just. I think it's just like, easier way to relate to the characters.
1: Yeah, I think it's just supposed to be fun and lighthearted because the story itself is so incredibly dark and depressing. Like you don't get a lot of trauma. Not, okay, uh, that's
0: that's good. That's something. That's fun, and it it kind of changes the tone of an otherwise very very dark thing. That's I feel like fun. a lot
1: of a lot of slasher films don't go with the. Uh, Mom being raped and murdered, and mom actually being kind of a, quote unquote the town slut, whatever.
0: That's that's fair. Yeah, she's let's face it, she's no Sharon Stone.
1: She is no Sharon
0: Stone. No, that that is that is all fair, <laughs> and I and, and I agree with that. I should say, but that alone doesn't make this. And I shouldn't say alone. That doesn't like make this a horror masterpiece to me. That makes this a mildly unique horror film. That's pretty good. That has. One sequence that's one of the most amazing things I've ever seen in an horror movie, the opening scene, and has a couple other really good scenes. And I can move on with my life from it, you know. I know I know you love this movie. A bunch of people love this movie. I saw this has a 4.02 rating on Letterbox. That is freaking high. That is, like, everything, everywhere, all at once high. I mean, it's probably not as high as that. That was probably, like, a 4.3. But still, that's like, a, it's a, it's a really high number. And it's, like, you know... I like it i don't know i don't get masterpiece from scream i get fun movie yeah i yeah I, I guess that i guess that's my biggest takeaway i feel like especially as a horror fan sometimes it feels like i'm in like a minority of one and that was like yeah scream's good it's not didn't change my perspective on anything it's like this is fine it's good and i of course i'm being i'm selling it short it's it's a good movie i just don't see masterpiece
1: my good, buddy, my good buddy from Chicago has watched Scream five times in the last two years on Letterboxd. Okay. And his first review is four stars. Okay. And he says, Total banger. The meta stuff is a tad overdone, but it'd be very easy to argue Scream is a classic.
0: And I'm not arguing it's not a classic. To be
1: the clear. second time he says, also again, four stars. I think that after the opening scene, it's a bit rough. But once the party starts, it's damn near perfect. Final sequence is like a Coen Brother movie, which is the highest praise I can give. I love a movie that loves movies, as do I.
0: Okay.
1: Third time, four and a half stars. This gets better every oh, time. Getting better, yeah. This gets better every time. Fourth time, four and a half stars. It's called Tack to You Fuck Rag, which is a great line in the movie. <laughs> and then the fifth time, five stars and one word, classic. Okay. And that is how I feel. I agree with everything he said. It can be rocky. There can be rocky watches of Scream, but when you're yeah, in the I, mood- I I
0: do I do agree with so what what your friend said. After the first scene, it gets rocky, but then the once they get to the house, it's like a masterpiece. I don't know if I'm going full masterpiece. I do agree that everything between everything between Drew Barrymore, Casey, and Stu's house is okay. I think another thing. I think the killer approaches Sydney too quick. Like Casey has just died, Casey's the only person dead and the killer's like in Sydney's house and it's like okay this this doesn't work cuz I know she's not going to die. And then the scene in the in the school is kind of just like okay this is kind of just like feels like it's thrown in there. I feel like we're just trying to get as many scenes of her being chased by the killer as we can those scenes don't work for me and that's a big part of the the reason why that middle chunk is kind of mediocre but all that stuff works at Stu's house because at that point we're towards the end of the movie something could happen
1: those parts that middle part couldn't have been better sure
0: yeah, the middle part's not bad. There's good moments there. There's good characters.
1: The principal, the principal kill is great. The scene in the bathroom is great. The silly—it's kind of the—I don't—the silly supermarket ghost face sighting is just ridiculously goofy.
0: Oh yeah, he's just like in the reflection briefly.
1: Yeah, like obviously someone would fucking see that guy. Yeah, the I agree. That's, the that's
0: yeah, that's true.
1: Like that one was just straight up goofy.
0: Listen, it's a fine movie. I I don't love it, and you do, and that's great. We can disagree, and we're not even strongly disagreeing. It's just like, I still like this movie quite a bit. I just, you know, it's it's no pieces. I'll always go back to pieces. Pieces is the greatest slasher movie ever. It embraces its sleaze in a fun, unique, and weird way. But credit to Kevin Williamson. He had a unique vision for a horror film. Credit to Wes Craven. I think Wes Craven's kind of the really the reason why it is a horror film. I think early on, before Wes Craven was involved, people were looking at this script from Kevin Williamson, this kind of meta horror script, and they were seeing it as a comedy. I think it's kind of Wes Craven who saw it as like, no, this is, we can make this a horror movie. We can actually make this a legitimate horror movie. And that to me is a, it's not a perfect marriage, but it's a pretty good one. So, Josh, which of these two movies do you prefer? Scream. Why? Uh,
1: I love horror movies more than action adventures, probably.
0: Okay. I think I might too, but I'm going to take Back to the Future because I think Back to the Future is a perfect movie. I'm not picking Back to the Future because I don't like Scream. I'm picking Back to the Future because it is one of the most entertaining movies ever made. It's like it, It's got something for everybody. You have to be a weirdo to not like Back to the Future. It's like, you know, there are reasons to not like Scream. It's a little too 90s. You know, who knows? There's I mean, there's reasons that you and I wouldn't agree with, I'm sure, it's why someone might not like Scream. So how do you think this stacks up as a double feature?
1: I think it's a little fun one.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I would do it again.
0: I think it's an awesome one. I think both these movies, you get two teen movies, very much trendsetters for their decade. Like, like kind of generation-defining films, both of them. Generation-defining films that have stood the tests of time in both cases. Like I mentioned, Matthew Lloyd, kind of the Crispin Glover of the 90s. There's a connection there. Francis Lee McCain, small roles in both films, which is kind of fun. Also, we didn't mention both films. Canadian star, Michael J. Fox, Nev Campbell, Canadian film icons, the two of them. So that's fun. And they're both like the, the the teen movies. They're both pretty funny, although they're maybe not primarily comedies in either case. And like the they're they're different genres from each other, but they're both fun. And 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 obviously like the arguably the most important thing, they're both good movies. So two good movies, absolutely. Any final thoughts?
1: I would love to see Sydney return to Scream, and I would love to see the next Scream take a chance on killing kill some of these corners. people kill it's some gotta be people co- it's off. gotta
0: be courtney cox or if they bring back any of the teens from the last two movies kill off one of them i guess they could do that but yeah courtney cox has been flirting with death since literally since the first scream movie uh yeah i would i, I agree i would love to see the scream series take more chances i would love to see more Scream movies and as we kind of said i don't really want to see more back to the future movies i think what we got was perfect don't fuck it up hollywood and on that note, Jim will be back next episode. The movies we are going to be doing are Prisoners of the Ghostland, a recent, I believe, 2021 film starring Nicolas Cage that I have not seen, I don't know much about. And then, of course, from 1975, the classic exploitation Italian film Black Emmanuel starring the incomparable Laura Gemser, which I've I've mentioned Black Emmanuel n- numerous times. That is a rabbit hole that is well worth diving into if you have a very specific interest in weird italian exploitation movies so please join us next time i think that's gonna be a lot of fun and josh thank you for joining me today
1: always a pleasure